I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on a Monday morning. Time to review all the Week Ten NFL action. Sam, it is. Yeah, head to head with Good Morning Football, of course. So they've got they've got great ratings this year. I heard Good Morning Football. Do they? They're breaking re- records, and it's not because of us. Do we have great ratings too? We yeah, we're going up. Good Morning Football is going up. Like we're all moving up together. I bet if you look at it in percentage terms. We're kicking their ass. Yeah, yeah, we're probably, yeah. Because they'll be up like, yeah. you know, 25% year on year or whatever. We're killing that. Yeah, we're like thousands, thousands percentage. I mean, hundreds. Points. Anyway, we appreciate everybody tuning in early on a Monday morning. Um, it, a legitimately historic week 10 in the NFL. Five games that finished with a walk-off field goal. First time in NFL history. Yeah. In over 100 years of NFL history here. Okay. They were talking that up a lot yesterday. I... Are you... Let, Downplay it. Go ahead. I'm not. Well, people. Well, I'm just saying, people and me seem to have different um, interpretations of how exciting a walk-off field goal is. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. You know, right? And yes. I don't know how many. Like, if you multiply it, like multiplying a walk-off field goal by five doesn't necessarily turn it into something magical for me. Jeez. And I don't know if you multiplied it by 16, if it would turn into something magical for me. If you're new to the PFF NFL just podcast, this is what we do. You, you may have come out of the week excited about something, and we're going to tell you why you shouldn't be. Only if the thing sucks. I mean, if the thing was cool, it was let's a great, dive into it. Just saying, it was a great week of football, Sam. Yeah. Are you ready to go? Sure. Speaking of great football, Colts 10, <laughs> Patriots 6. It was in Germany. Just in case the, uh, the Germans thought that they were going to be blessed with nice football all the time, let's give them a little taste of what London's been getting for the last decade. They got to see over 60 run plays in this game. Wow. And yeah. uh, that's why there were 16 points in the game. Uh, Colts moved to 5-5 five and five with the win. Patriots fall to 2-8. and eight. Uh, it, was a, it was a back-and-forth game early on, and then the scoring stopped for the yeah. most part. Bill Belichick still have a job this morning? Um, as of now, right? Yes, he does. Um, you know, we could get right into the Patriots' perspective because, again, uh, Bill Belichick's the, the greatest coach of all time. Job is probably on the line here, if not at the end of the season. Maybe as New England heads into their bye, he benches Mac Jones. Mac Jones has another again, again. Well, I don't think the previous the previous ones weren't really benchings. <laughs> like, can we just like people? Are, we, we're intelligent here. The previous games, Mac Jones played horribly. But they were getting blown out, and it was mostly like, let's put the backup in in a blowout. This was a legitimate bet. I, I don't know if you would call the previous two benchings of Mac Jones. Mm. This is a legitimate benching because the Patriots had a game-winning drive opportunity. Uh, the previous game-winning drive opportunity, Mac Jones kind of looked flustered, throws a very bad red zone interception. This was after... The cameras caught Bill O'Brien screaming at Mac Jones on the sideline. Hmm. Now, so. you, Mr. Uh, context Man, Bill, Bill O'Brien has form for this. Like, there are countless 
video examples of him yeah, and Tom Brady screaming at each other on yeah. the sidelines. So this is something that Bill O'Brien does, apparently to the degree that he's nicknamed the teapot. Because there's a clip somewhere of, I don't know what the, the actual show is or the thing that they were creating. But like Brady is explaining that they call him the teapot because when he starts to simmer, you know, it explodes. explodes. Yeah. yeah. So this is a thing that happens. Oh, so, so this is ex- not, expected behavior. Yes. It's no, it's no different to when he was yelling yeah. at Brady, except it's Mac Jones so, and, and, and things are going badly. So now everyone's like, oh, look, trouble on the sideline. So the teapot went off on the sideline. And then Mac Jones throws a very bad red zone interception. And then yeah. it became Bailey Zappi time. And down four, Bailey Zappi trying to lead the comeback, does a little fake spike, the fake shucks spike. it up into coverage. I do think he was trying to expect – he was expecting a little something else from the receiver. Don't know if that would have mattered anyway. And so it was a game ending. I mean, if he ran the over route instead of stayed up the seam, he's at least at the catch point probably. Yeah. Either way, there's two defenders in the area, not three. And um, game over. Colts get the win, secure the win over in Germany. They do. Um, yeah, I don't know that there's a route the receiver could have run that would have made that not a problem. Like, he's throwing it at the safety who's right there, and the best he can hope for is if the guy runs a different route and manages to at least create a collision at the catch point, which is usually not what you're aiming for when it comes to that situation, particularly not when it's like a fake spike, and the idea is you've manufactured some space by the trickery that you've done with the spike thing, there was no space manufactured, and at best you were throwing a contested collision ball midway down the middle of the field with not much time left on the clock. It wasn't great, but I don't know what the great, expectations Bob. were. Um, anyway, so uh, New England falls to 2-8, and eight, and with Arizona winning, spoiler alert, you know, New England's even closer to perhaps a first or second overall pick here. Which, God, they might need at this point. And they, they really might need. So does... Uh, does Bill Belichick make it through the rest of the season here, Sam? I think he does for the reasons we discussed previously, which is they have – he has value. Like, even if you've decided we don't want him as coach anymore, which is entirely possible given the way this season is going, it doesn't make any sense to kill him now because you can get rid of him – you can trade him. Like, somebody will give you a decent draft pick for Bill, o- uh, for Bill Belichick at the end of this season. So why would you get rid of him now? What's the benefit? Like, literally, if it continues to go as badly as it does now, it will help your draft pick for the next guy. And does it really increase the embarrassment factor, which is the only other consideration if you're Robert Kraft? Like, the level of embarrassment you have over the season increases with every loss. But is that actually important? I mean, you know, in the mind of a billionaire, perhaps. But that would, that would seem foolish. That would seem cutting off your nose to spite your face. And a smart billionaire, I don't think, should behave that way. The one other consideration that we would have said four or five years ago with Bill Belichick, right? Every time Bill, you know, uh, zigged when everyone else was zagging, mm. we were like, oh, what does he know? Right. What is he doing? Turns out he didn't know anything. It's just Brady. <laughs> May- yes. I mean, that's probably <laughs> Maybe, maybe that's what he knew. I but have Brady, therefore I can zig. However, five or six years ago, people would have said, wait, is Bill tanking? Mm-hmm. Is he tanking on purpose? True. And it's... Uh, it's well orchestrated here. Oh, oh no, it's a I forgot how to coach. Masterful tank job. You know, he's like messing with Mac Jones' mind so he can't even read. Like, <laughs> Mac's just getting back there and panicking. <laughs> and it's because Bill's been playing uh, mind games Bill with Bill Belichick him. is carefully and, and uh, meticulously yeah. destroying the mind of Mac yeah. Jones over the course of the season. He's like, I know you've been told to drop back and read the safeties. But I want you to read the defensive tackle. Mm. Trust me, I'm Bill Belichick. 
and he's going to masterfully craft the New England's way up to the first or second pick. Every like Bob uh, Bob Kraft needs to know this though. Yes, right? you like, can't just, do that without informing listen, Bob, the owner. Right. I'm going to tank. It's going to look bad. Stick with me though. Here's the plan. I intend to embark upon a campaign of mental warfare against our starting quarterback this year. And in doing so, I will get one of the top two picks of the draft, which gives me one of the best quarterbacks available in years. Cool? Bob's like, absolutely, Bill. Go nuts. We're bringing, uh, we're bringing teapot pack to, to really scream <laughs> at him and everything. We're going we're gonna to get after him. In the I'll start group. the ball rolling, and yeah. then teapot's going to go nuts in the sideline. Hey, Mac, by the we're, end bringing of it, your, we're bringing your former coach back. It's going to be great. By the end of it, Mac's not even going to be able to drop back without imploding. All right. Well, um, all jokes aside. It's bad enough that this could be true. Uh, it's a two and eight New England Patriots team, and the Colts moved to five and five. I like that conspiracy. I think we should. Keep, I think we should push that. We out should roll with a, that as a right? thing. Every time something bad happens, it's like, yeah, Bill's this secret is, genius. This is the plan. Still. This is all part of the master plan. Uh, for Indianapolis, they moved to five and five in uh, a suddenly more competitive AFC South with Jacksonville losing. Uh, the Colts five and five, just a game and a half behind the Jags, and now a half game behind the surging. Houston Texans, of course, we'll talk about those games later. But uh, Colts are lurking around with uh, with Gardner Minshew, and Minshew actually played a a pretty clean game for the first time in a while here. I know they only yeah. scored ten points, uh, but it was a run heavy attack, and you know makes a big throw to Josh Downs, beautiful diving catch to help run out the clock toward the end in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and and when you saw that play initially live, I was like, Minshew's just heaving up a prayer. Like, it looked panicked, it looked chaotic. He gets out of the pocket, and then he just, like, lofts this thing skyward. And you're like, and Josh Downs runs under it, diving catch. And you're like, oh, that's all Josh Downs. And then when you see it from the kind of all-22 angle, the, the, the end zone view, like behind Minshew, it's actually a well-thrown pass. It's just, it doesn't, I, I, I'm starting to, I had this epiphany before we went on that, like, Gardner Minshew and Baker Mayfield play with the same sort of, mad out of control like everything looks panicked right at all times and i i don't i it doesn't give you the good feels you know you don't feel confident when you see that and yet sometimes it isn't chaotic and and it is actually just how they play and it just there's some sort of bad body language that comes off it but i think it it actually leads to you sometimes saying no that's just like a, a lucky heave whereas you look at it from different angles or with a bit more consideration. Like, actually, put it where he wanted to. It just doesn't look the way it does when you have a, you know, Josh Allen or a Mahomes and, it, you know, everything looks calm and in control, even when it's not. So, yeah, it's it sort of – you're always waiting for the Minshew throw when one of those is in the air and there's three defenders, like, closing in on it. Especially this year. Yeah. Um, but he didn't in this game. Like, he actually generally – put it in pretty good positions and as I say sometimes it requires some air put under it or you know just loft it out of the way but he did a pretty good job uh, for New England it was their first loss in a game where they uh, gave up 10 or fewer points first loss since 2001 since the uh, late Drew Bledsoe era so all sorts of new records here in New England this year they're both both teams heading to a bye we'll see if anything happens or any news comes out of New England this week during the bye as um yeah, I mean, I do think, seriously, Mac Jones, I tweeted yesterday, Mac Jones is reminding me of, like, late-term uh, late term Marcus Mariota in Tennessee. You know where he was just so broken? Something had to change. Like, yeah. it didn't matter what the backup situation was. Like, the answer to this thing is Marcus Mariota has played his way to the bench 
you need to change something. And remember, when that was happening, we had like the shell of Ryan Tannehill, who himself had been broken at the end of his Miami tenure. The idea was not Tannehill is going to come in and fix this thing. It was the only option here is to sit him down for an other for a different broken quarterback. But you have to do it because Mariota doesn't give you any choice at this point. That's where Mac Jones is right now. Like, it doesn't matter that the backup is Bailey Zappi. It doesn't matter that Zappi might only last a game before you have to turn to Will Greer. Like, you just have to change something because Mac Jones is, he's not giving himself a chance right now. He is wrecked. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit on the preview show, how he's he's not seeing the field. QB slumps are are interesting because it's like, why, why are you not doing the things that you've done previously? Right. Um, seeing the field, what what is it about your vision? What is it about uh, not making the throw that you would have previously? What is it about you know just brain fart in the in the red zone? Like why are you just chucking it up yeah. to nobody? But it's uh, like, are you coming? But it's at, bad. Yeah. The, the the question is though, when that's happening and the QB is in a slump, it's like, are you coming out of the other side of this if we keep playing you, or are we just digging a deeper hole at this point? And I I can't see anything other than we're digging a deeper hole. Yeah, I mean, either way, it does seem like, I mean, if, look, it, nothing against Mac Jones. I know he was talking about mental mental health this week. I mean, it seems like he's really struggling with this. But if you're the Patriots and you're like, hey, even though he was pretty good as a rookie, I mean, we need to look for a franchise quarterback. And we're going to be, right. you know, in the hunt for that in and, the draft. I mean, this is a weird, this is a tough landscape now in a, in a world of sort of increased um, – uh, increased awareness of mental health issues and all that kind of stuff. Like when the quarterback is saying things like that, that's its own problem. I mean, whether or not, you know, you, there's a path to the other side of that as a starting quarterback for him. Like right now, if your starting quarterback is talking about the struggles he's dealing with with mental health, even if it's off the field entirely, like that's that's its own thing saying the guy has bigger problems than starting at your at quarterback for you right now. All right, we'll see what comes out of that. Uh, as I said, both teams going to be on bye here coming out of Germany. Big game for DeForest Buckner, and in fact, the Colts' pass rush generally had a. I mean, it was, you know, low-scoring game. It's always bad offense versus good defense. There was quite a lot of good defense from the Colts. Like they, their pass rush made a real impact. It was causing all kinds of problems for, um, for Mac Jones in particular. Their pass protection, generally speaking, held up pretty well as well. Bernard Ryman playing, not quite at home, but. Closer to home. Closer than, to home. Yeah. Closer to home than America is. Um, Austria versus Germany. He played really well. Good shout out. Good credit to the to the Colts here. Didn't want to dismiss them. Hmm. But I am trying to get to say, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family. How to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, man, let's go to one of the 
wildest games of the day. Cleveland Browns 33, Baltimore Ravens 31. We have a special graphics package or sound. There's no, there's no mighty roar. Hmm. There we go, a mighty roar from the sound booth that no one else can hear except us. Yeah, from uh, producer Tyler. It's good podcast, uh, but good podcasting. Of course it is. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just telling the people. I'm trying to paint the picture of electric excitement that's happening here in the booth. Is Eli here today? Of course he can. Oh, see. Yeah. Wow. Great podcasting. It's perfect. So Tyler shows up, Browns fan, Eli, Bengals fan, just no shows this this Monday morning. He's not here. Not here. Interesting. Yeah. Just a bunch of we got fair weather producers, is what I'm saying. No Quinn, no no Bengals fans here. That's true. Only Browns fans. So only it's that's their that's their deal. If it's a victory Monday, you show up on victory Monday. You show up to work, right? Ride the adrenaline through the week. Anyway, this game was a little nutty, Sam. A um, little nutty. A little nutty. Uh, Ravens were up 24 to 9 at one point, and it uh, didn't matter. Browns made the comeback. Um, I do want to go through the sequence of the game, right? It started with Deshaun Watson less than a minute into the game throwing a pick six to Kyle Hamilton on a tipped pass. Unbelievable play by Kyle Hamilton uh, as a blitzer, tips it up, catches it, runs it in, and uh, Baltimore's up 7 nothing about 40 seconds into the game. Incredible start. Um, they were up 14 nothing, then 24 to 9, but the Browns kept battling back. No, they did. Um, they, they were, what, down multiple scores in the fourth quarter. The, the game looked, for all intents and purposes, like it was Baltimore's to win all the way through. And then Deshaun Watson actually has a good second half. Didn't have a good overall game. Yeah. But the second half, I mean, so, you know, he was like 14 for 14 or something in the second half. Uh, which some Browns fans out there are like claiming means he played perfectly in the second half. Uh, the distinction between a perfect completion rate and a perfect game appears to pass them by. Oh, so the PFF grade should be 100. Yes. Is what you're saying. Exactly. According to them, essentially, yes. Yeah. 100 grade for the second half, and then whatever you want to do to that with the first half involved. But that's Find what the expectation fans, but yeah, is. Go on. Um, but the point being, he played well in the second half and was a big part of them coming back in that game. Like, that's... Remember, we talked before the pre- for the preview of this game. This is the game. Like, this is the reason yeah. Deshaun Watson's there. And, by the way, up until halftime, like, you're looking around the landscape, and you're like, we traded three first-round picks, a third and a fourth, and then paid this guy $230 million in addition to the PR nightmare that that was. And it's not immediately obvious that he's any better than either the guy that was starting last year, Baker Mayfield, or the guy that was like buried on the depth chart last year and we shipped away for a fifth round pick or something in Josh Dobbs, that's not great. And then the second half, Deshaun Watson goes out there, does complete all 14 of his attempts, has a passing touchdown, and plays probably the best half of football he's played as a Cleveland Brown. And like, all right, that, that right there was the reason. Now, we need that all the time. But that at least was a sign and a glimpse and an important one because without it, they don't win the game. Like, that was the reason we went through this A, PR nightmare, and B, tr- like, cost so much to get him. Yeah, I mean, Watson did play well down the stretch. I want to I go back through the, the sequencing. But, yeah, Watson on the game-winning drive hit a bunch of big throws, 16-yard scramble to set up the, the eventual game-winning field goal. Um, <clears throat> but what actually happened in this game, going backwards a little bit here, after the pick six, Keaton Mitchell comes back for the Ravens with a 39-yard touchdown run. 
one of only three carries for Mitchell, though, even mm. though he's become a big play threat for the for the Ravens. But they're up 14 to nothing. And one catch for 30-something yards. Like, Keaton Mitchell's, he's, he's like the new Devin Achan. He's going to average like 100 Touch uh, yes. 100 yards of touch, and we're barely going to give him the football. Is he third in the league in rushing yards now, like Achan <laughs> was when he left? Um, both teams were trading field goals for a little while. The Browns blocked a field goal, which ends up being becoming a, a big play as well. Um, it's 17 to nine. Ravens going into the half. Right? Didn't it feel like the Ravens were up 14 nothing. Feels like they're in control, but the Browns' defense did a really nice job. Right? I mean, this wasn't. Uh, the Browns' defense giving up all these points. Yeah, it was a pick six. There was a short field a little bit later on, um, but then what looked like, all right, this is the Ravens running away with it. Odell Beckham turns back the clock with a forty-yard touchdown on a slant, and it's like, all right, old school uh, OBJ. It's now twenty-four to nine. This is the Ravens' team that uh, destroyed Seattle, destroyed Detroit, and is going to do this again. But the, you know, this time it's a division rival. Um, but again, the Browns kept. Coming back, they score a touchdown, they go for two. A 17-play, 75-yard drive, Sam. Uh, finish it with Kareem Hunts, but they go for two, down 15. Mm-hmm. This is a controversial play in Michigan-Penn State. Why did, why did James Franklin go for two when you're down nine after the touchdown? Um, but the Browns did that to get within seven. Um, but then they muff a punt. Like It was like the Browns kept trying to give the game back to the Ravens. Short field, Ravens go up two scores again, and then but the Browns just keep battling back, all a part of Deshaun Watson in his really strong second half. Yeah. Is that still a controversial thing, the going for two early? Are we not? I was I was in um, I was in DMs with our friend Booger yeah, this yeah? week, uh, Saturday, trying to explain the the logic there. But most people know now. So Boog and I, happening. like, you know, I didn't want to call him out on Twitter or anything like that. We just had a cordial <laughs> DM conversation. I felt like we probably should just hash this out over the phone. Now, the Michigan-Penn State thing was like, right at the end of the game uh-huh. and it's one of those like we're going to increase our win probability by 0.5 percent by going right. for two and when you don't get it your win probability drops yeah obviously but like now people know why i mean yeah, you can I'm argue gonna... whether or not you're doing it but you can't ask the question if you ask the question now why are they doing that that's a you problem that's a you're ignorant of I'm not, the landscape i'm not trying to be pretentious about it because i used to have the same belief Right, you're down 15. You score a yeah, touchdown. Yeah, this is one of those ones you that is the counterintuitive, and you save the the two point conversion till the end. Yeah, until someone just explained it to me, and it's like you just you know if you're gonna fail, do it earlier. Right. It's like oh, I hadn't thought of that previously. Now I am. This is one of those ones that is counterintuitive, but once you've been explained the logic, it's not like it makes sense, right? And even if you would dis, even if you would deviate or disagree with it, again, like if you, you can't anymore be asking the question, why is this happening? Like, that's just not understanding the, like, information that's pretty important to whatever it is you're talking about. Like, I, I don't know. Anyway. So, it's, uh, it's 31-17. to 17. Browns come back, score another touchdown. Deshaun Watson finds Elijah Moore on a nice play. So, the Ravens have a seven-point lead. This is a very long game. All the other 4 o'clock games are wrapping up, and it's, you know, still eight minutes left in this game. And then Lamar Jackson has a pass batted up. So for the second straight week, a ball is batted up in a Browns game, mm-hmm. just soaring in the air. And the Browns must do a lot of tip drill stuff. Remember last week, Amari Cooper was like tracking this batted pass for a touchdown. This time it's Greg Newsom on the defensive side of the ball, tracks the batted pass, catches it, takes it to the house for a pick six to, to you know, maybe tie the game, except the Browns missed the extra point. Mm-hmm. So instead of tying it, it's 31-30. to 30. 
But again, the Browns defense stepped up, made a stop. Browns had an opportunity on the final drive. Deshaun Watson drives them down to the field, and Dustin Hopkins redeems himself with a 40-yard game-winning field goal. Browns win 33-31. Redeems himself. Yeah, like this would be – because it's, you know, 31-33, you would look at the just the score, and you'd be like, ah, the Browns defense must have been uh, – you know, must have finally been overwhelmed or, or had a bad day, but actually – their defense still played really well. Like points came from other places uh, at times, and their performance was really good. The Browns' defense is still phenomenal. Uh, Miles Garrett had like a T.J. Watt game, where he had two sacks but only four total pressures. Like he had that game where he didn't get it like ten pressures and was a constant source of problem. Like pass rush win rate off the charts, but when he won, he got a sack almost every like half the time. Um, he needed he needed one of those. He needs one of those for the defensive player of the year. Yeah, so he's having the season now that, I mean, T.J. Watt did this a few years ago, and then this became his shtick. And there was a few other guys that, like Khalil Mack had a season like this, where he went from incredible in the run, in the run game and getting a ton of pressure, and then he flipped a switch, and suddenly he's getting the impact plays at the end of it. And that's the thing that, like, transforms you from a perception standpoint when you start making those game-changing plays not just like consistently getting pressure and, and you know affecting the game this is the year where Miles Garrett has already had you know like a, a, a high-profile game where he took over and just dominated he's been getting the sacks like he's having the season that makes people sit up and take notice and go oh the guy is playing a defensive player of the year type level even if he's been at that level you know for a few years now um, saw this stat from NFL Research that I sent you as well, Sam. Through 10 games. Yeah. Ready? Uh-huh. Um, the Ravens have trailed less than any other team in NFL history except two others through 10 games. So the teams that have trailed the least, is that the best, fewest number of minutes <laughs> since uh, whenever, in the last 40 years, the 84 Dolphins. The merger. It's always the, it's always the, the merger. merger. This is last 40 years is what they're saying. Yeah. So they may have cut it off somewhere. Um, 84 Dolphins, uh, only under 15 minutes that they trailed. They started 10 and 0. The 98 Broncos, 27 minutes. They started 10 and 0. Third is the Ravens, 28 minutes and 46 seconds. That's all they've trailed this year. Less than a half. And they're seven and three. The next two teams on the list: the 1990 Giants, 43 minutes. They started 10 and 0. And the 07 Patriots, 51 minutes. They started 10 and 0. So there's four teams. That are ten and zero yeah. on this list, they're and the then only... the seven and three Ravens. So I ask you, Sam, are the Ravens the best seven and three team in NFL history? I have no idea. Perhaps um, they are. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. So essentially, of the top five teams in the NFL in the last forty years who have trailed the least, the Ravens are the only one that have actually lost games in the process. Yes. Yeah. That's correct. This was also a very costly game for them. Um, Marlon Humphrey. It sounds like he's going to be done with an Achilles injury. That's what the the TV slash Twitter doc, doctors are all claiming, right? Don't know. Hasn't been confirmed. They have a decent hit rate. But they're all saying popped Achilles. And that is the one injury that they tend to hit, have a pretty, like, nail strike rate on. You know, so Achilles for Marlon Humphrey, that's pretty bad. Uh, Ronnie Stanley went down with a knee injury that's probably not long-term, but is likely to keep him out at least. They're on a short week, right? They play Thursday. They have to come back Thursday night. Right. Against the Bengals. So Stanley is likely out for Thursday. Um, they might be down like three starters in the offensive line heading into Thursday against a good team. That's not ideal for them. So in addition to the way the game ended up going, it was pretty costly from a personnel standpoint. 
Um, there is this, you remember early in the year, uh, the Ravens blew multiple 10-point leads last year. Mm. Um, and uh, Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator, took a lot of the heat there. I mean, but there were games last year they didn't close out because of fourth quarter interceptions and everything. And that was this, this game as well. It was interesting because I thought L- Lamar had, um, was it, two actual interceptions. This batted pass one, I mean, that's right. just bad luck. But he also threw one in the end zone that got negated by a defensive hold and at first I was like he threw this is such a bad throw I wonder if he knew that there was a defensive hold and I don't think he did after reviewing it and seeing when the flag was thrown and everything so Lamar had a couple really bad throws in there he had an interception I don't know what he was seeing just before the half he threw a pick um, and then the end zone one that got negated obviously the batted pass one not on Lamar Jackson that is just just pure luck but there is something to the Ravens. We'll see if this pops up in the playoffs or wherever. Them closing out games um, because same thing happened in Pittsburgh. They couldn't close out the Steelers. I mean, this is the reason why the Ravens are on this list of they haven't trailed, yet they still have three losses. Quirky loss to the Colts in overtime earlier this year. Quirky loss to the Steelers and now this one to the Browns. And, I mean, it literally is the opposite of the Steelers where the Ravens will dominate the entire right. game, then lose. And critical turnovers. And Yeah, critical turn. I mean, again, yesterday, the batted pass one, whatever. I don't know what happens there. But there's something else in the way Lamar Jackson was playing that, you know, the one that was negated was also poor. So just something to keep an eye on with the Ravens. It seems to be a, a trend here the last couple seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Ravens are now 7-3. and three. The Browns are 6-3. and three. And... Bengals moved to last place. We'll talk about them in a minute here. Last place in the AFC North with their loss. Um, but it's going to be Ravens hosting the Bengals short week here on Thursday night. You know, they've been serving up Panthers Bears mm. to get to Damn. the main course here. Thanksgiving month, right? We got the uh, is the turkey the main course? I know nobody likes turkey, but main course on yeah. Thursday night football is this week Ravens and Bengals. Or the turducken. Oh, yeah, the turducken. Man. Old school Thanksgiving with John Madden. Mm. It's great stuff. Just a constant explainer of what the hell a turducken is, and then usually him like diving in with his hands to like to this bird monstrosity. Oh, man, nothing says Thanksgiving like John explaining the turducken. Which, by the way, always had to be cold, right? Like, there's no way he was plunging his hand into a roasting hot bird of some description. Probably warm. You could do it warm. Be warm, okay. yeah, but not in the warming drawer. It's not right out of the oven, right? What I want to I'm know saying, is, like all these things where they have like the legs, you why know, we and, podcast for two and a half hours. Yeah, uh, they hand the legs to the players, and Madden's got his turducken sitting there with him. Like this is a cold bird that somebody has had just plonked in the stadium for I, hours. Since I was just on set for Sunday Night Football last week, yeah. I didn't see the place where people cook. I didn't see, you know, the Al's, where the spread. Yeah, Al's yeah. like mobile chef. <laughs> yeah. So who's like who's Grinding out all the turkeys on Thanksgiving Day for all these broadcasts. That's what I'm saying. You know? And that, so it has to be done either in the, the bowels of the stadium somewhere, right, or yeah. off-site, and then transported, which means the thing is cold. That can't be a pleasant experience. Here's a stone-cold bird to either plunge your hand into or wrench a leg off. You just don't understand TV, Sam. No, not, that, not to that degree. Anyway, uh, AFC North remains extremely competitive. Let's go to Houston Texans 30. Cincinnati Bengals 27. The Texans move to 5-4. and four. The Bengals fall to 5-4. And, four. and uh, we will. our listeners will be happy to know that we did meet up with Bobby for mm. breakfast yesterday before the game. We did, yeah. which looked like it, was, it for, a, for a horrifying couple of minutes, looked like we'd cursed them. <laughs> when, no, things were, when things were spiraling out of control at the end of the game, it's like, uh-oh, 
We're Bob, never meeting Bobby again. Bobby's not one and zero in games where he breaks bread with us That's before true. the game. Yeah. Um, but man, what a what an incredible game by the Texans. You know, the Bengals get up early, seven to nothing. Joe Burrow hits the cover two shots. Trenton Irwin, and it's like, all right, dime by the yeah, way. Yeah, absolute beautiful throw. And as we had said coming in, look, old Joe Burrow looks like he's back. He's making these throws every week. He's breaking free from sacks. T. Higgins is hurt. Who cares? We're hitting cover two shots to Trenton Irwin. You know, this is uh, this is the Cincinnati Bengals. They just beat the Bills on Sunday Night Football. Um, but the Texans hung tough, man, and they kept moving the ball offensively. Uh, we talked a little bit about Bobby's run game at breakfast. He's like, yeah, you know, the numbers aren't great, we'll say, mm. for the run game. But they ran the ball really well in this game. Devin Singletary running hard. And um, and at the end of the day, C.J. Stroud kept making big plays. Now, he yeah. made a disastrous mistake in there. But other than that, unreal again by Stroud and this Texans offense. Yeah, the Bengals, so they, they score a touchdown early. And this actually came up in, in the – at breakfast as well we were talking about how sometimes you get those games where one team scores early methodically early drive everything's going well and then they like never score again and it just collapsed like we i mentioned that game the nfc championship game in 2017 where minnesota get blown out by the eagles like 47 or something whatever the score was uh, and the Vikings, the seven was the first drive. Yeah. Like they went down, scored first, were seven nothing up, and then like didn't score again for the rest of the game. Well, the Eagles just kept hammering them over and over again. It seems it's weird the number of times that happens where a team scores first, looks good, and then like it, that's it. That's the highlight of the game was your first drive. The Bengals have that methodical first drive touchdown, the Trent Irwin score. They then went five straight punts. And then the, the, the next, the final score was like a 50-yard field goal. So they, they scored immediately and then got clamped by the Texans' defense for like the majority of the rest of the game. Um, meanwhile, you have Houston's offense under Bobby was cooking. C.J. Stroud looked great again. And honestly, okay, the, 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 the interception was bad. Uh, but I kind of came out of this game even more impressed by Stroud probably because of that. Like, he made a critical mistake at a terrible time, and some of the play calling, dare I say it, was questionable late on, too. What? I, you, you know, we, Bobby almost went full Kyle Shanahan. It's what it looked like. You know, there was some, let's dial up a pass play here. Whereas, there wasn't a minute left. There was over two minutes left. I know. I'm just saying it Don't looked like... be critical like, of your friends. Okay, you have to. You have to be critical of your friends right. sometimes. It seemed like the thing to be doing there was not necessarily to be calling up pass plays for your rookie quarterback, but actually to just keep, you know, pounding the ball on the ground. That's been working quite well. Anyway, it looked like everything was about to melt down for, for Houston. Um, but when they put themselves in this hole, uh, C.J. Stroud came back and said, shook it off. It was like, it's all right. It's one bad play doesn't matter like the, the that short memory that people talk about all the time right amnesia Be, gonna have that yeah, amnesia. being able to yeah. park the bad play and not dwell on it and not let it create a second bad play but to just go one bad play one mistake it's done now we move on to the next one now we go back to positivity and they they got it done like stroud to tank dell is a hell of a combination and we've seen that over the last few weeks and uh stroud it, to noah brown man noah brown huge um so a couple, couple big plays in this game. As you said, you know, Cincinnati scores early, and then Houston gets up 20-7. to seven. 
And it's like, all right, they're gonna they're gonna pull this thing. It looked off. like an absolute statement from them, like both yes. sides of the ball. Their offense is cooking, and their defense after that first touchdown drive again, five straight punts from this Bengals offense that was looking untouchable. I say this all the time, right? When the underdog is leading, you're waiting for the team that's you know the six point favorite Cincinnati. Here. Right. You're waiting for the favorite to come back, and we, you you know you said for the last week, Cincinnati looks like the best team in the NFL right yeah. now. Yeah, and. You know, let's wait for them to come back. Texans hold them to a field goal. It's 20 to 10. Then it's like, okay, now they're coming back. Joe Burrow rolls out, hits Jamar Chase with a 64-yarder. Beautiful play. And it's like, all right, now the Bengals are going to come back. Texans come back with another score, 27 to 17. This is what I'm really impressed with. And it's a C.J. Stroud scramble for eight yards, right? Sees the field, takes off when he needs to, gets the eight uh Eight-yard touchdown. This was after a 34-yarder to Noah Brown. This was after Devin Singletary running hard. Like I said, the best the run game has looked for Houston all season. Mm-hmm. But you're referencing the interception. And then, you know, Burrow's throwing interceptions that he hadn't thrown previously. It's like the Texans are going to do this thing. I thought this game was over like two or three separate times. Like yes. Burrow has uh, a, a ridiculous at a high interception where he missed the guy over the top. I was like, that could be the game. And then he has a bad red zone interception. Like, well, that's definitely the game. And it still wasn't. It was you know, more attempts. So, so we get to 341 left. It's third and two, Sam. You could throw the ball in third and two. Sure. Um, but Stroud makes a terrible misread. Uh, hits Cam Taylor Britt, who has another interception. So the Bengals have life. And it's like, okay, now Cincinnati's going to do this thing because of this terrible mistake. They come back, score. It's 27-24. Uh, and then they stop Houston again, third and three. They go deep. DJ Turner breaks up the pass, and it's like, all right, one last chance for Cincinnati to drive down and score. Burrow hits Tyler Boyd up the seam on third down, drops it. So mm-hmm. the Bengals should have been up a touchdown. Instead, they go up a field goal. Right. And, uh, well, I'm sorry, they kick a field goal to tie it, and uh, you just don't want to give C.J. Stroud. This is where it is really impressive, man. It's a tie game, buck 33 left. Stroud had already thrown this interception to allow the Bengals back into the game. And he is just nails under pressure, gets Houston back into field goal range for the game winner. And Boyd, I mean, Boyd drops a touchdown on third and goal. Like that. Yes. That's big, I mean, that, they should have been a big mistake. If he catches the ball, Cincinnati's up a touchdown. Yeah. And Stroud has to drive for a touchdown like he did last week against Tampa Bay, but just to tie it. I mean, right. the, obviously, you talk about, like, win probability changes and everything. Massive the difference, but it's a four-point drop, yeah. essentially, for uh, Tyler Boyd there, who had a really good game otherwise. Um, but, I yeah, also, credit Houston for, for hanging tough and then making this comeback when they needed to. Yeah, I mean, this is another game where it's not like his numbers are bad, you know, like 356 yards or whatever for uh, C.J. Stroud, but I thought some of his best passes were incompletions. Like that, the throw that he made to Robert Woods in the end. Crazy. And that, I don't, I mean, I can't 100% say that that shouldn't have stood. Like, they, they ruled that his foot went out of bounds earlier in the play, and it might have, but there was no definitive look at that. Like, had it been called the other way, I don't know that they would have been able to overturn it and say his foot was definitely out of bounds. That doesn't count. And that was an absolute dime. It was. Because he, it wasn't just like a rollout. Like, he was running. He had to run fast you know there was no window either and somebody yes. just threaded it through people it was and it was helmet high yeah right on him it was a great throw i mean that was one of stroud's best throws i think this season and it'll, it'll go down as an incompletion right um by the way as we get into you know officiating and process and everything mm-hmm. it was ruled incomplete 
It should have been you know, fourth down. Texans are going to kick a field goal. Yep. It was ruled incomplete, and the officials went to a break to mm. review the play. Not because Houston challenged, but just because. Is that the first? I, that's the first time I've ever seen that. Is that is that new and allowed? There's, like, I mean, they there's, went. I'm like, not. They've been more subtle about it, though, Sam. Yeah. Like, they're in my ear. Yeah. New York's looking at it. We're just going to fake huddle for some time here, and then we'll, and then we'll say, hey, we talked about it, slash got some in more information. Right. Here's the new call. But this was like, we're going to go to break. We're going to run every replay on this thing, and not because the Bengals challenged or the Texans challenged, but just because we want to get it right. And I'm not arguing with the process here. It's just the first time I've seen that. There is this increased um, involvement in, with – from New York in officiating calls, which I think is a good thing overall. What the problem is with NFL officiating almost universally is just the lack of transparency in the process. Like if they simply said, like this is a TMO thing in rugby, if they simply said New Yorkers buzz down, we're going to look at this in the, the TV booth or whatever, cool, that makes sense. Like let's actually look at it and let's figure it out. We don't need the challenge to come in to get it right. We don't need the official to decide, let's have a look at it. New York has buzzed and said, this is important. We need to check this out. And it was. It was a touchdown and or not. So it's just the, the, like, the confusion that is the problem. And the confusion always breeds conspiracy. Like That's the, that's the issue with all this stuff. Whether it's uh, the TMO and rugby now going to this bunker system where you never hear it. Whether it's soccer with the VAR and you never hear the audio. Unless it's so catastrophic that the explanation has to be corruption to the degree where you have to release the audio to prove that it's simply incompetence. Like, that's how bad the, the mistakes go. It's simply incompetence. This is the problem with NFL officiating is you never hear anything from the discussion. So the assumption becomes, oh, the game's rigged. It's a script, etc. Um, anyway, uh, monster game by the Texans pass rush. Like part of the Bengals' five straight punts was th- that pass rush is destroying them. Sheldon, Sheldon Rankins, Rankins. Yeah. nine pressures, uh, a pass rush win rate of 26.7% as a defensive tackle is a crazy number. Um, but he wasn't alone. Like a bunch of those Texans guys got significant pressure. Yeah, Rankins had a huge game. Will Anderson, Jonathan Grenard, all those guys. Um, looks like four guys had at least four pressures, at least when you take no plays off. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, huge game up front by Houston. Uh, and I, I, look, I know they almost blew it at the end, but this might be the most complete game from Houston. Yeah, because passing attack, like they've had to rely on the passing attack a ton. As I mentioned, though, Devin Singletary goes thirty carries for a buck fifty. Clearly, there was something there where they they felt like they needed to grind it out, and he was. They were getting those four, five, and six a bunch of times to stay on schedule, and then the defense uh, getting the turnovers. And, and creating havoc up front. There's also something, I think, for them, not just not blowing it, but being the re- – like, they dug themselves out of the hole. They yeah. didn't just get lucky at the end. I mean, they did in a way that, like, Tyler Boyd catches that touchdown. The game probably goes a different way. But the point being, they got given the opportunity again to, like, okay, you, you melted down, but we still have a shot at this. Now go win it. And they went and won it. Like, that, I think, is a big thing for this Texans team. It would have been – very easy to come out of this game from their perspective and not feel great about it given the way the end went, you know, of collapsing, almost melting down completely. This was your Shanahan moment where, like, Shanahan is still carrying those 28-3 and, 
you know, the, the 49ers Super Bowl around, like, oh, look what he's done. The guy melts in key moments. Like, this would have been damaging for them if they had collapsed like that and lost the game. And, okay, you would have been able to, ah, oh, it's the Bengals. They're a really good team. Nobody's hotter than them right now. But it would have been pretty, you know, it would have been a big blow to them. But being able to drag themselves out of it, I think, was important. Um, like we said with the Thursday night game, costly game potentially for Cincinnati as well. Do you see the freaky Trey Hendrickson thing? I did not, no. So Trey Hendrickson's just like standing around after the play, and I, I'm not quite sure how it started, but Noah Brown was doing this thing where you're like, you don't ha- you're off balance, and you're like, you know, falling essentially, but falling over 10 yards and not, you know, trying to fight it, and was just sort of just fell towards Trey Hendrickson like miles after the play. Hendrickson's just standing around like chatting with somebody and suddenly Noah Brown like careens into his knee and takes him out. And again, it's not like, I I don't think this is going to be a season ending thing, but he's probably out Thursday. Yeah, that's not, that's not great. Uh, Last thing I want to highlight, Noah Brown, you know, you know, trucking through dudes to get into field goal range here, but the two big plays on the final drive, uh, 25 yarder to Dalton Schultz, who continues to make big plays at tight end. And again, the Stroud connection to these guys <clears throat> you know, has been huge. Um, and then Noah Brown goes seven catches for a buck 72. Huge game. He's the second highest graded receiver over the last three weeks. And like, this is the best he's played since high school. Yeah. When he was a five star recruit back in 2014. So um, with no Nico Collins, the, the Texans still getting it done with Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz, Tank Dell, as we've said. So very impressive win for Houston. One last mention that we highlighted this going into the game but trey hendrickson going up against laramie tunsil promised to be like one of the best one-on-one matchups of the week it was i mean hendrickson's going to come out of the game with probably he had a ton of pressure tunsil is going to come out with giving up i think four pressures there's a lot of stunts the the yeah the bengals the bengals did a nice job getting pressure on stunts up front against that line tunsil the four pressures of its stands would be uh he's only had one game since the start of last year the start of 2022 where he's given up more than two pressures in a game so and it's not like i'm not saying that trey hendrickson won quote unquote but hendrickson had some wins tunsil had a lot of wins and just by the nature of pass rushing pass protection you know the the sort of seven slash four somewhere in the middle that's like that's a good back and forth encounter like that was a an absolute war between those two guys all the way through the course of the game where i think both guys did well Makes for a fascinating Thursday night game, as I said. Bengals and Ravens both coming off a loss and uh, have the short turnaround this week. Who are the pretenders? Who are the contenders? We're more than halfway through the NFL season, but DraftKings Sportsbook is still pumping out unbeatable offers every single game. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on anything to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. DraftKings isn't stopping there because all customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every single game day. Get in on the football action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. So you've got uh, th- you know, Monday Night Football here, little Broncos Bills that you can still get in on the action. But you just go download the app right now. Use the code PFF. And new customers can bet just $5 on anything to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. That's only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by ju- jurisdiction. Void and aunt. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And I just deleted the copy. Okay, we fixed it. That would have been bad Mm. for the next time around. Uh, Let's stay in the AFC North. Pittsburgh Steelers moved to 6-3 with a 23-19 win against the Green Bay Packers. The Steelers are outgained for the ninth straight game yeah, this ask. season. They give up 388 total yards and move to 6-3 and three on the season. <laughs> Old tungsten arm strikes again Old for Pittsburgh. Old tungsten arm. Yeah. How is this happening? They had 119 net passing yards. I'll say this. This was the best the run game has looked for Pittsburgh in a while, um, at least results-wise. And listen, nuance here. I think there was a combination. There was some really well individually blocked plays mm-hmm. by Pittsburgh. I also thought this was really bad run defense by Green Bay. As I was grinding the film, the uh, the run fits and the the run defense was uh, was not great. But I, Jalen Warren continues to add a, a spark to this offense, a little explosiveness in some of his shifty runs and acceleration. So Jalen Warren finishes with 15 carries for a 101 and a score. Najee Harris finds the end zone as well, and. Uh, I think, you know, Pittsburgh's run game was really good. But I thought we had this game pegged, Sam, in the preview. We were looking at the splits, and we're like, this, you know, nobody's going to do anything until the second half and everything. But this is the complete opposite. All the scoring came early. Mm. And, uh, you know, Steelers were up 23-19 to 19 early in the fourth quarter. Uh, sorry, 20-19 to 19 early in the fourth quarter. They go up 23-19 and just hold off Green Bay. The, uh, the real story in the game ends up becoming the Steelers' perspective. Steelers bend but don't break defense. Yeah. 388 yards. However, the Packers go one for five in the red zone. Right. It didn't happen the way I said, but it, it was the right score, right? The Steelers are supposed to win by four. It was just I expected that to happen in the last drive by Kenny. Yeah, Pitt. yeah. You were half right. Right. Yeah. You're right. I got, the, I got the, the margin of victory was correct. Just the manner in which it happened was incorrect. Yeah. I mean, it was 17 to 13 at the half. It should have been... Should have been 17 13 in the second half. Right. It should have been, should have been like three, a 0 three. To 3 game yeah. at the half. Exactly. And then everything happened in the second half, and instead it was the opposite. Yeah. If it was, uh, if it was 6 6 at the half, hmm. and then the Steelers pulled away 17 13 in the second half, it would have made sense. Just flip them. It's like, it's like old Raiders drafts. Just <laughs> turn them upside down. Turn them upside down. That's a better draft. Um, any other any thoughts on this game? Takeaways? Uh, I mean,. Yeah, well, one thing that struck when you were talking about the run games there, like both these teams have an old-school thunder and lightning backfield. Like each guy has a big heavy bruiser and then a a smaller, shiftier, fast, explosive running back that they actually do use in tandem. And there's, I think there's something to that when you have, when the thunder part of your backfield is missing the lightning, you know? Like you don't need thunder and lightning, but the thunder needs to have the capacity to have lightning. Right, like Derrick Henry, has got some lightning to his game. You don't need the lightning because Derrick Henry brings the lightning. Right, when you just have thunder, you need the lightning. Thunder brought the lightning more for the Packers than lightning. Yeah, 
Uh-huh. On this occasion. Not usually, though. Not usually. Yeah. Yeah. And it helped. And part of that was the lightning dropping the football. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting because this was, this was like um, Jordan Love coming out of college description where he was going to have some big-time throws and – you know, some boneheaded mistakes and everything. And, you know, like, the game-ending interception, I don't think you can it, – it's a last play, right? The, all you can ask is that you give your receiver a chance. He didn't necessarily do that, but that's – the fact that it's an interception doesn't matter. It's a desperation throw. Um, but Love had some beautiful throws yeah. in this game. First touchdown to Romeo Dobbs, touchdown to Jaden Reed behind the defense. This was the type of – these were the types of big-time throws that you want – from a Jordan Love, explosiveness that the Packers' offense did not have. Which hasn't been a big part of his game, actually, this season. Like, for a, a quarterback that generally you would hear him described in the in Jameis Winston terms, right. of, you know, highly volatile, a lot of big, a lot of, a lot of bad, there haven't actually been that many big plays before this game. Um, like, where is his uh, big-time throw rate? Uh, I've Why got no not? plays on. He's down in the 20s yeah. somewhere. Why do I not see his name in the list Why of quarterbacks? stalling here? Oh, because I'm looking at last year. That's... But, like, the my note on the, the red zone. So he throws – so the, the Packers have – 3.2% two up... before this game. Pretty low. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before the Packers had their final opportunity, they had, with about three minutes left, second down, there's an interception in the end zone. And it's uh, Christian Watson against Patrick Peterson – and Love kind of just chucked it up. So this is where there's – when I'm trying to describe the Packers' offense, it, it, like I wouldn't – this isn't necessarily a turnover-worthy play. I don't think it's a bad throw. And what you're doing is just kind of like giving your receiver a jump ball opportunity in the end zone when you need a touchdown with three minutes left in the game. It's not a, an egregious decision. Pass gets tipped up and gets picked by Keon O'Neal. But it was one of those decisions where – Christian Watson runs a horrible route. He runs a double move against Patrick Peterson, and Peterson's like, ha, 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 seen this one before. Stays on top of it. Um, and then Watson's not competitive enough at the catch point. Peterson tips it up. It gets picked off. And I, you know, it's easy to, like, you know, revise history and be like, oh, Jordan Love should hit the check down. But there is this element of knowing when to take the chance. I feel like I was seeing this with Jameis Winston in the comeback opportunity too. Throwing a game-ending interception is not the worst thing in the world, right? You've got nothing to lose. But there's something about the timing of when to take those chances. On second down, Jordan Love had a check down available. He kind of just, oh, let me just chuck it up and take this chance like it's fourth down, right? There, that's a piece of what's missing, I think, in Love's game is knowing when to take those chances, when to make those plays. And... That ended up coming back to bite, and then again on the last, on the last drive though, they get into range because I couldn't believe Jordan Love completed the pass to Jaden Reed to just get into a scoring opportunity late. He's fallen back. It was like he was full Jameis, um, and I was tweeting through that. It felt like you know Love was playing a Jamesy type of game. Jameis was actually playing on the other side, <laughs> playing like a Jameis game. And then if you're watching Red Zone or you have the multiple screens up, they both literally threw game-ending interceptions at the same exact time. It was, uh, was well-synced. So I was actually kind of intrigued by Love for a lot of this game. But there's still just some of those when to take the shots, when to check down, like some of those things may be missing from his game. That interception was such a weird play. Um, Would you agree with my assessment on like Watson's route? And so everything, I, I everything's don't bad. love the chance. Everything is bad. Yeah. Everything. So you hear a lot about double slants, right? 
one side of the field, you got two receivers, they're both running a slant, and the idea is, depending on how the defense plays it, one of them is open, right? You, your job as the quarterback is to figure that out based off the alignment and based off what is being jumped. They ran double out and ups. Both receivers on that side ran the same out and up, right? Now, neither one of them was open because, okay, Patrick Peterson plays that very well. The man is, has been in the NFL for a long time. He's seen a lot. He's playing like he's he's actually playing both parts of it pretty well like he's in position to drive on the out but never buys it enough to take himself out of position for the up uh he does a really good job on that now part of that i don't think jordan love sells anything like he never he the closest he comes to pump faking is like taking his arm back slightly and that's just not enough to move a guy like patrick peterson so they never sell the out uh christian watson's route isn't good um, even if it was, there's a safety over the top anyway because there's a second receiver there running exactly the same thing, taking the safety towards that spot. So, like, the play design is terrible as well. Like, you're moving the other defender to the position that would help, even if the corner drove on that. Just so a little stick nod next to it, right? Yeah, but it's, like, a pretty severe one. So everything is bad on this play. Um, and I think now... Christian Watson is reaching this point where, so you look at this Green Bay Packers receiving core, and it's incredibly young, and it's making mistakes, and it's, so you got Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, Luke Musgrave, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, you know, taking a bigger and bigger part. Your guy, Samari Torre, isn't playing at the moment, he's hurt, but like, is in this mix as well. All these players, and you had this sort of established pecking order of like, this is the depth chart, right? I don't... I think the Packers are reaching this point now where a meritocracy would reorder this because Christian Watson probably isn't amongst their top three receivers anymore. And yet, theoretically, as like the high draft pick, he's sort of, he's arguably the number one on the depth chart. But like Watson had a bad game in this and it wasn't just that route, which wasn't great. Um, He had a drop pass that was bad. He doesn't win at the catch point. He doesn't necessarily win physically for a guy that's overwhelming in size and speed and 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 it's costing them he's one of the chief architects of these small mistakes the compound that we talk about every single week for this Packers offense like Dontavian Wicks should probably be playing more than Christian Watson is at this point yeah man I uh, Watson last year you had all those touchdowns all those big plays yeah because of his speed and right. I thought the speed plus uh, LaFleur did a really nice job of getting him into space. I mean, I, I know we reference Khalif Raymond a lot, but he was like a bigger version of a Khalif Raymond where it's like, here's my speed guy. If you miss a line just a little bit, he's behind you, and that's a big play, which is great. That's a great skill set to have. You know I love speed and acceleration, but he's not great at pure route running. I mean, just talk, I'm just talking like running a curl with nuance, working back to the ball, and – being QB friendly, as mm-hmm. we like to say. He doesn't do any of that stuff very well, including this route and this, you know, the catch point. So maybe he is just a, an oversized speed player, right? Speed, deep threat type of guy where you don't want to take too many one-on-one, you know, contested catch shots or whatever it might be. Um, Jordan Love did the same thing, the game ender against the Raiders, where it just didn't feel the right time to take that chance. It's late in the game. you got to take these chances, but you're just not – picking the right spots for it. 
Um, the one other controversial play in this game, Kenny Pickett backwards pass that was called yeah. incomplete. I, I don't know if I'm crazy, but I thought it was directly straight. Like the ball was on the back half, like it was on the back part of the hash, and it ended up on the back part of the hash. But like camera angles make it look backwards. Am I, I crazy? Not crazy. I think it definitely went backwards, but I think it went backwards by a lot smaller margin than everything made it look. Yeah. Like every camera angle made it look bad. It also, by the way, moved in the air. Like it had it continued exactly straight on the track that it left his hand, it probably would have been directly straight down the line. But when you look, there's an angle from the sideline in particular. You see it move in the air. Like it, I don't know if he, I don't know if it came out of his hand weird and therefore like sw uh, skewed in the air, or if a gust of wind took it. But it moved sideways in the air, and that's what took it backwards. Uh, I think it was pretty clearly backwards, albeit by a much smaller margin than like the sort of basic camera angles made it look. Anytime it's like changing height, you know, it's always going to be weird depending on the angle you're looking at because the the drop in height is going to make it look like it's traveling laterally. I got it. Three-dimensional space, Steve. It's a tricky thing these days. It is very tricky. Well, credit the Steelers for their run game. Loved, you know, again, Jalen Warren running extremely well. Run game, red zone defense wins it again for the Pittsburgh Steelers as they move to 6-3. and three. And sideline Canada. And Matt Canada undefeated on the sideline. I mean, we mocked. You, we, you know, you're like coaching changes. Openly mocked. <laughs> What's sideline going to do? Well, it turns out it's going to do 2-0. And I see no reason why that won't continue. The Packers fall to 3-6. and six. Uh, Let's go Tampa Bay 20, Tennessee Titans 6. Bucks move to 4-5. Uh, and five. Titans fall to 3-6. and six. Uh, Will Levis, not a great game for the Titans in his third NFL start. And again, the Bucks offense, I know they only ended up scoring 20, but the Bucks offense showing more life over these last couple weeks than they had you know, the, the rest of the season. Um, but they needed, you know, Bucks were on a losing streak, had that heartbreaker last week against the Houston Texans, and needed a bounce-back game, and got a good one from Baker Mayfield, Mike Evans and company, even though Evans had some, some weird drops yeah. in there as well. He also came back with some of those you know, superhuman Mike Evans-type plays. Well, they had like, there was a sequence, I think, of bank-to-bank -bank plays, or very close to bank-to-bank, -bank, where Baker Mayfield had an underthrown deep shot to Mike Evans, like underthrown by a mile. Evans catches it, and then, so... That was the sequence, yeah. Right. Baker Mayfield mistake cost them four points, essentially. If he yep. puts, gets it out earlier, it's a touchdown easily. And then Mike Evans drops a touchdown right Wide after open. that. Yeah. It's like two separate times you cost yourself four points in this drive. Like either one of those plays should be a touchdown. You miss both of them and you end up only getting a field goal. In, any, you know, in a closer game, that would have been a problem. But their, their defense you know, handled uh, Will Levis and the, and the uh, Titans' offense. So, really, you just needed, like, a decent game from Baker Mayfield, not a great one. Yeah, I mean, so that, that sequence, I did note it and was like, okay, this comes back to bite because it put them up seven, I think, instead of, whatever, 10 or 11. And uh, it was like, those are back-to-back -back four point plays. But later on, Evans makes up for it, catching the ball and dragging defender into the end zone for a touchdown. Uh, Rashad White had a really nice touchdown on a screen pass, 43-yarder to kick off the scoring Dude, that for play. the Bucs. We never asked this to Bobby over breakfast, but I wonder if there's a better feeling as like a play caller than when you, through luck or design, catch the opposition in like the perfect play call. Yeah. Like they they dial up a screen, 
for the exact time that Tennessee was blitzing. And it might not even have been a proper blitz. It might have just been the linebacker, like, green-dogging on the running back, you know, and thinking the running back's staying in the block. And then he's like, fakes the block and then slips out the screen, and the linebacker is charging up the, the middle trying to get to the quarterback. Either way, you've dialed up the play that it's going to dump the ball over their pass rush's head and just give him clean real estate to run into. So it was one of those perfect plays where you look at it live and you're like, oh, they're screwed. Like if this ball goes over the pass rush, it's a touchdown immediately. Um, that must feel like the feeling from that as a coach must be amazing. Oh, my like, gosh. Oh, I've got it. I've nailed it. Like this is the call. This will kill that play. Uh, so from a Titans perspective, so I, look, I thought the Bucks offense, they left a few points on the table as we had talked about before. Mm-hmm. But a well-dialed up screen, Mike Evans getting behind the defense, uh, Trey Palmer. You know, some good plays, some bad, whatever. But they had some big plays in there. Bucks offense looking better for the first time. And we're back-to-back games for the first time all season. Um, and then on the other side, Will Levis regressing a little bit after the four-touchdown opening performance. Throwing the ball to defense a little bit more. Had to take some chances late in the game. But um, I'm seeing kind of just some deep ball regression after he was hitting all of them, you know, that first week. Yeah, and that's, I think, to be expected. I think the bigger thing is, though, like we're seeing, I mean, the impact of that offensive line, it's just, it's bad. It's pretty terrible. Um, And this was, like, this was the question, right? Like, Will Levis has looked quite good and has all the arm in the world. Um, He's got playmakers. I mean, the the receivers are pretty good. The, The backfield is good. It's just the offensive line is catastrophe. And you're like, is that enough to under undermine all of the other things collectively and mean that none of that matters? And in this game, it kind of was. Like, you look at Tampa Bay's pass rush, and you can name, like, half a dozen guys that got a bunch of pressure. And, by the way, because it's Tampa Bay, like, they're not content with just being like, we're going to get pressure with our front four. We're going to blitz as well. So Win- Antoine Winfield Jr., the safety, with, like, eight blitzes and three pressures, like, they, they were not only taking your front or winning with the front four – where they're going to add a fifth guy to it, which you can't pick up either. And it's like you look at the Titans' offensive line, it's just it's just not good. I mean, Dylan Radon's Radon's really struggled, mostly in the fourth quarter when they needed to pass. Yeah, and yeah. Radon's is a guy that yeah. shouldn't be starting, and they know he shouldn't be starting. They've tried to not have him start before. He was supposed to be the future, right, at right tackle. And he was so bad at that, that can't happen. So they benched him, went in different directions, and now the injuries have mounted and he's back on the field playing for them. Uh, you know, Chris Hubbard is playing. Like go, they just Go look at Vita Vea's pressures. One where he takes mm-hmm. out, whoops, Andre. Because I had mentioned it'd be great if they put Vita Vea right over Aaron Brewer yeah. at center. They didn't do that a ton. But Vita Vea beat, you know, Andre Dillard at left tackle, right. Hubbard at right tackle. Uh, with some impressive rushes I mean can you imagine well, yeah it was a tough it was a tough tough one for Levis we talk about sometimes you know how shocking like actually shocking physically shocking it must be for an offensive tackle when Chris Jones moves out to the edge right it's like all of a sudden you're used to dealing with these sort of 6'5 250 60 pound edge rushers and then all of a sudden this dude who's 315 and can still kind of move like that, goes out there on the edge, and you're like, I, how do I deal with this? This guy is bigger than me, yeah. or at least the same size, and possesses the same kind of strength. Like, this is just a different thing. I'm not used to dealing with this level of strength, intensity, and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, now 
that guy's Vita Vea. <laughs> Suddenly, instead of a 250-pound edge rusher, you've got this 350-pound ball of, like, violence running at you. And I don't know how you deal with that without experience. So, again, Vita Vea, so it doesn't happen, like, every snap. He's weirdly inconsistent. But, like, Andre Diller just gets annihilated on one of those plays from the edge. Um, the Todd Bowles defense, too, they're tough to peg sometimes because they'll have a game like last week where it feels like, Again, from a Texans perspective, they played great last week, but it feels like sometimes Todd Bowles' defense just runs into an offense that has all of the answers in the pass game against them. And, and then there's games like this one where Todd Bowles' defense, on like a week-to-week basis, as we mentioned, they're number one in EPA per play allowed against the run. That's kind of a Todd Bowles staple, um, in part because you've got guys like Vita Vea, but because you're going you're gonna to load the box, right? He doesn't want to get run on. And they did shut down Tennessee's rushing attack, it made Tennessee one-dimensional, and the pressure was getting there. And, you know, so Bowles' defense looks really good coming out of this week, whereas last week it's like dudes on the hot seat, you know, they're getting, they're getting thrashed. It, it has been inconsistent over these last few weeks where they have somewhat dominant games like this and then games like last week where they don't seem to have many answers. Would you consider moving Peter Skaronsky out the left ankle? Because, you know, we talked about this draft time. It's one of those, is he a you give him a chance to tackle first, you move him to guard. They go out and sign Andre Dillard for a fairly questionable sum of money, given Andre Dillard's previous career. Uh, nothing so far through the first half of the season has suggested that was money wisely invested. And I would, if I was a betting man, I would suggest that Andre Dillard will not be the starting left tackle for this team for the long haul. So if that is the case, and you have made an error in your allocation of left tackle resources, you have a potential left tackle sitting there playing left guard right now as a rookie. Do you just bite the bullet now and say, we've already screwed this up, let's fix it, potentially by moving our rookie out there? I would. I mean, I would do it. 32 and a quarter inch arms makes me think it's never going to happen. Right. There's just no... They think that's the outlier. You know what I mean? We'll talk more about it at draft time. They think that's the outlier. We can't, we don't, I believe in not going for the outlier when you're looking at it through a certain lens. The NFL views that as like, this is the outlier thing we can't do. We can't take a, a guy with those short arms, the stubby arms, and put him at tag. We just can't do it. Even though I think he'd be better than Andre Dillard. I think he'd be better than Ray Duns. He'd be better than the guys that hashtag look the part at tackle for the Titans. So, yeah, I would give him a, give him a shot. I mean, I'd also, Does that affect his guard development if they have to kick him back in? I don't know. That's the thing. I'd also ask the question, like, what's the downside here? We're already dealing with one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, and he's a potential solution at a more important position at left tackle. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think if you were debating elite guard, and maybe we'll see if Skaronsky can get there, if you could choose elite guard or average tackle, you might take the elite guard, right? That's okay. I don't think that's a slam dunk you move him to tackle, but I think it depends on scarcity in the draft and in free agency. Like when you, as they move forward, it depends on what you have available. But I think one of your options should be the ability to move Skaronsky based off of what else you can get to fill in there for the Titans. He's also not playing out of his mind at guard either. So it's not like if he was, if he'd hit the ground running and already looked like an all pro at guard, maybe you'd be like, all right, well, let's not mess with a good thing here. Right. But. He's playing okay. He's playing fine at left guard. I would give him a shot at tackle where he played in college and see if that works better. Um, one other, T.A.R. Tart had a huge game here. 
we think about you know the Titans defensive line as being Jeffrey Simmons and friends but like Tart was a really big impact player in this game no Tart's a good player um so yeah Tennessee falls to three and six here uh by themselves in last place in the AFC South and Bucks because the NFC South was not good yesterday Bucks the only team to win this weekend four and five they're half game behind the Saints in the South yeah nobody above 500 in that division yeah, just like last year. All right, the last 1 o'clock game. No, there's two more. Uh, Minnesota Vikings, 27. The Saints, we were just talking about, 19. Vikings moved to 6-4. and four. Hottest team in the NFL. Five straight wins for Minnesota. Saints fall to 5-5. Five and five. Every time the Saints pull me back in, they disappoint. Hmm. I started like to believe in the Saints. That, uh, the opposite of that quote. Yeah, I know the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. But they pulled me back in. I did the opposite. Yeah. yeah. Churchill said that, right? Definitely. Yes. Uh, so Vikings 6-4, and four, another great, I mean, early effort by Josh Dobbs, the way he was running around, making plays. Nice seam pass to uh, pass up the seam to TJ Hawkinson for a touchdown. Josh Dobbs continuing to get the job done here. Yeah. Um, God, Josh, Josh Dobbs is fun. Like, the story was great, but he's actually playing well as well. And the Vikings are already dialing up plays that simply didn't exist in the playbook. The third for and Yeah. Like they're pulling out design run plays for the quarterback that obviously were not in the playbook when Kirk Cousins was your quarterback. Like literally never a thing you would even consider. So it's either something they've had on the back burner for if they ever have a mobile quarterback or they've devised it in the last week and a half since they brought him in. Either way, that's good coaching. Like that's – impressive work from this coaching staff to allow Josh Dobbs to be the most that he can be within this offense. A little inside baseball on that. I'm not saying this was impossible to do previously, but having PFF Ultimate, having every play in the league at your fingertips and the ability to sort and filter does allow teams to do that, right? Like, as you mentioned, the Vikings weren't installing these plays you know, even for just in case in, in the preseason or anything. But now you have the ability to search all the QB runs, look at what, what is happening around the league, pick out some of your favorite things, make some, create some wrinkles off of that and install them on the fly more efficiently and effectively than ever. They've always had video, but it's like easier to get to that, I think, um, just because of technology and things like PFF Ultimate. So, um, yeah, I mean, Kevin O'Connell having – the QB run game, and it, it's not like this was a huge part of it. A lot of it was Dobbs scrambles. Dobbs had a, a scramble for a touchdown where he just he just looked fast, man. Former uh, Tennessee Vol, Alante Taylor, was in space. He's a good athlete in his own right, and Dobbs just beats him to the corner. Yeah. You know, but that's like it is a new added dimension he's a good for this runner. Vikings offense. Yeah, like he's not just a quarterback that scrambles, which is, you know, you get these guys every now and again where – it's usually seen as like a negative for a quarterback. Like it's an indictment of his ability to pass the football because he wants to run. Like Malik uh, Willis, right? Malik Willis is a scrambling quarterback ostensibly because he can't operate as a passer. Like he's a one-read-and-run type of guy. Justin Fields is skewed in this direction as well, where he, he it's one read and out of there because he can't work through everything. He, he can't operate from the, the pocket. There are other quarterbacks, though, where it is actually just the strength of what they do. They don't necessarily want to do it all the time, or it's not a huge part of the game because they can't function as a passer. It's just when you force them to it, it's a 
Like it's an extra weapon that they have that other quarterbacks don't. So Lamar Jackson, right? Obviously, his rushing ability is insane. They use him as part of the design run game. He's not a massive scrambling quarterback, but when he does take off, like, oh, we thought we had this play shut down, but now we have to stop Lamar Jackson scrambling. Like, it's just an extra dimension. Clearly, Josh Dobbs is not Lamar Jackson, but it's the same idea where he does function as a passing quarterback. He can go through progressions. He can read defenses. And then when you do force him to move, he's actually good. Like, he's fast enough, strong enough, and good enough in terms of, you know, pulling moves on defenders, like actually maximizing space, and strong enough as well. Like, he'll throw his shoulder into that and hit a guy. So it's not just like, hey, we have this quarterback that happens to be mobile. It's like he's actually a good runner, and that is is being brought to the table in addition to where he is as a passer, which is – Apparently okay. Like he had. Yeah. We talked before. One of the most surprising things about last week was that he didn't have any catastrophic turnover type plays. Right. He had one turnover-worthy play in this game, and it was a completion for like yeah, thirty up, yards or something. Ended up caught. Yeah. Um, where he, I, I looked at it live. I'm like, how did he threw this ball sort of into double coverage, and somehow Jordan Addison emerged from the other side of that with the ball. But what the hell just happened there? Uh, it went through the hands of a guy, but. That was like his worst play in the game, and it was a positive play for the Vikings' offense. You talk about Dobbs running. When he was at Tennessee uh, University of, yes, he was in the backfield with Alvin Kamara and uh, Jalen Hurd, Hurd, who eventually moved to Baylor and then receiver at six foot four. I mean, that was a it was a fearsome backfield because of Dobbs' rushing ability, and it was like they they would put all three of those guys back there, and it really made life difficult for opposing defenses. Um, so uh, Dobbs is doing his thing. Vikings get up 27 to 3. Derek Carr gets hurt, gets high load, uh, leaves the game concussion, right? And concu- same as before, concussion and shoulder, which is the second time I think that's yeah. happened to him this year. By the way, I saw somebody on the injury report this week with like a shoulder and personal. Hmm. It's like, do you have to, it's because you have to note everything? <laughs> like you could have just said shoulder problem. Yeah, I mean, that know? takes care of it. He's- anyway, it's 27 to 3. Jameis Winston comes in, um, unbelievable touchdown. Uh, by Chris Olave, you know, yeah. keeping his feet in in the end zone to make it 27 to 11 after the two point conversion. Then we've got just the full Jameis experience. He's rolling out to his left. He fires the ball back across his body to A.T. Perry for a 15 yard touchdown. They get the two point conversion again. So it's 27 to 19. And that's set up. Saints make a couple stops and had some comeback opportunities. But there was also the other side of Jameis, which was interceptions. I'll talk about that again, but do you want to go through your uh, throwback across the body diatribe? I'm just. I, I assumed you wanted to jump no, in on that. I didn't. Oh, okay. Um, Certainly not this mean. one. I mean, this was the Jameis Winston. Like, Jameis Winston, all bets are off in terms of what the quarterback is going to do in a given play. Where there was. Somebody did one of these yesterday, though, like a more conventional <laughs> throwback across the body thing, and it was another completion. I was just. There seems to be a spate of those in the NFL at the moment. Like the the archetypal play that your coach not to do if you're rolling in one direction, especially if you're rolling like to the side you don't throw with. You know, if you're a right-handed quarterback, if you're rolling left, if you're a lefty rolling right, the the thing you don't do is then stop your feet, switch all the way back, and fire it back to the middle of the field. And all of a sudden, everybody's doing that. And not only are they doing it, but they're working. Like, Mahomes seems to have created this thing where everyone's realized, actually, that can function. As long as you just keep an eye on a backside defender, make sure there's nobody lurking yeah. there, 
It works. It can be calculated. I and mean, now I'm wondering, like, was this just Favre was unbelievably terrible at that? And so for 15 years, quarterbacks were like, whatever you do, don't do this. Bad things happen. But actually, this was just Favre never looking at the middle of the field, just firing it blindly. Maybe QBs just have a little better spatial awareness and... You know, it, it could be a calculated move. You have to know your arm strength. You have to know I also wonder defenders, if, know your receivers. Yeah, if more, I don't know, if like matchup zone coverage is changing the rules, you know, it's sort of bringing defenders out of an area where they were usually just sort of That's spot dropping point. and staring at the quarterback. That's like, I, I wonder if, if there's actual X's and O's reasons why it's safer now than it used to be. But it does, or maybe it's just a run of like, you know, five passes in the last week that's making me, talk about it but that's also a good theory yeah that it could be that anything could be happening right now um so as i said down eight saints have an opportunity uh, to make the comeback it's Jameis winston you know and his aggressiveness i did look up recently he's actually not that great in comeback opportunities <laughs> not because it was an unfortunate pause there yeah he's actually not that great well i mean come back it's that's the style of quarterback the style of quarterback it's like like if you if you're down a touchdown and the game ends on an interception, it doesn't matter. You're probably not winning anyway. You know, so like we overrate the fact that it's an interception versus like a fourth down incompletion. But usually that type of aggressive style um, leads to more comebacks. But I think what we saw here was Jameis not taking chances at the right time. He basically had two game-ending interceptions, um, one by Makai Blackman. By the way, Josh Metellus, the safety-slash-linebacker for the Vikings, five, nine, nine pass rushes, five pressures. They did a really nice job. He had pressure on that interception by Jameis Winston on third down. But then the Saints make another stop and get another opportunity with a buck 56 left on the Minnesota 46 in its first and 10. And this is like the same thing I'll say I said about Jordan Love. Like ending the game on an interception, it's okay. Like it happens. But on first and 10, Jameis drops back and chucks it into triple coverage. Like you got to take the chances at the right time. You got to give receivers a chance to make plays, but you know, it's okay to throw the ball underneath on first and 10. So another interception that pretty much ended the game, even though there was another Hail Mary opportunity later as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, the quarterbacks on that spectrum of aggression and volatility, there's a, there's a line between a heightened sense of aggression relative to other quarterbacks and just kamikaze play. <laughs> like, I'm going to take my plane and fly it into your battleship. And that, that Jameis is on that side of the line. It's like mad kamikaze play where you're just firing the ball well, deep. It's like, eventually I'm going to have to do this, so why not get out of the way now? Yeah, it's just funny because like those when you look at the stats of like fourth quarter comebacks and the QBs that have been successful, like we've talked about how Rodgers – Aaron Rodgers isn't actually great in those particular situations historically. There are some great comebacks in there for him, but he's not as great because it does feel like maybe he's a little too fine at the end of the game. Whereas Jameis is still just like bull in a china shop and like, you know, treating first down like it's fourth down. Like, you know, anyway, he's a backup. He wasn't expecting to play in there. He right. got the Saints back into the game. Um, but credit the Vikings, man. They are with Dobbs under center adding some wrinkles, doing it all without Justin Jefferson, and the defense is playing far better than it did earlier in the year. Defense playing incredibly. Like Josh Metellus, you mentioned, is having a great season in all areas. He's like the, the primary joker in that three-safety package, the guy that's moving everywhere and being yep. everything at once. Um, TJ Hawkinson with an incredible game. 
14 targets, 11 catches for 134 yards and a touchdown, and they were hammering him. It seemed every time he touched the ball, it was right before getting like spear tackle by a flying Saints defender. Um, Jordan Addison, we talked about having the catch earlier. He had another one of those plays where like the ball's in his hands and doesn't end up being a score because the guy makes contact and the ground slightly made it bob- like made it come out at the end. But like, you know, this is now what four or five of those plays where, come on, if you just stronger hands, we keep hold of this. We're we've left multiple touchdowns and several other big plays on the table so far. Um, but you know, when you consider he's not supposed to be the number one receiver in this offense like clearly he's shown he can be the second guy to Jefferson with TJ Hawkinson there and then I mean dude Josh Dobbs is just so fun to watch right now there was a play where he like gets out of pressure stumbles out of the pocket uh runs for a bit and then does like a Mahomesian like dink over the top for a first down I I, I was struck yesterday like you've got Josh Dobbs out there you know Sam Howell Geno Smith, Jameis being Jameis. Like, I don't know if there's been an era of quarterbacks where the mid-tier are more entertaining and compelling and fun to watch and likable than this group, where it's like, I don't even care if they're good. These guys are just awesome to watch. Yeah, I mean, that's seeing that a little bit this NFL season. And Dom's has been pretty good. Yeah. I'm, I, look, we complimented him last week. Dobbs has been impressive, man. It's a, it's a good story, not just because he's you know running the offense, but like you said, he's making plays. And now you have a Vikings team, uh, hottest in the league. They're going to be going to Denver for Sunday Night Football next week. They're 6-4, and 1-5 straight. Dobbs has shown that he can run this offense. Justin Jefferson's coming back at some point. And right, maybe schedule, next week. Their schedule is still soft for a while. Yes. I mean, the Denver game, then it's home to Chicago, then it's on the road to Vegas, which, okay, might be tougher than it looked, you know, a few weeks ago in, in the McDaniels era. Then the one, like, really tough game on the schedule at Cincinnati, and then two out of the last three are against Detroit, which is tough, and that will decide the division potentially. But this team at this point has gone from we might finally have a shot at a top-five draft pick to – we should make the playoffs from here. Yeah, they're six and four. You know, right on the heels of the seven and two Detroit Lions. Yeah, should make the playoffs, and it's basically in our control whether we win the division or not because we have these two games against the Lions. So very impressed with what the Vikings are doing, what uh, Kevin O'Connell's been able to do to keep them afloat, and of course Josh Dobbs running the show there at quarterback. Our other new partner, AG One. We've told you about them. For a while now, they're the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. We drink it every single day here on the PFF NFL podcast. We gave AG1 a try because we want those nutrients, man. Kick off the day with AG1 and uh, have it with my coffee. Makes me feel unstoppable and ready to take on the day, ready to go like I'm going to you know, put something good into my body, along with that caffeine, to get going here on the early podcast. And uh, I love giving my body the nutrition that it craves covering all our nutritional bases. All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies, and a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them also drink AG1, and that's why I'm a huge fan. With every daily serving, I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me the key daily nutrients that support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's this micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. 
Just mix one small scoop with water, drink it first thing every morning, and you're done. Also love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients. A win-win for everybody here on the PFF NFL Podcast. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. All right, the game we thought was the game of the week was not. San Francisco 49ers, 34 Jacksonville Jaguars, three. Both teams coming off a bye. Niners looked rejuvenated in like the powerhouse that they were earlier in the season. They break a three-game losing streak, moving to six and three here. Jags fall to six and three. Really a dominant effort across the board by the 49ers. They had Trent Williams back at left tackle, Debo Samuel back. And I know Brock Purdy dominated the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football, and I thought that was his best game as a pro. This may have been Brock Purdy's best game as a pro 19 of 26 for 296 three touchdowns and uh looked really good throwing the ball and it was purdy that had another one of the back across the body ducks that's these had three of them in the last two weeks now oh yeah the touchdown yeah he just lofted that way up into the the height like just put it into the middle of the end zone it's a big time throw up and away from coverage it was an incredible throw (laughs) yeah that was a great play by purdy um He's, We're process-oriented, but it's also results-oriented, right? Oh, I see. The process is the decision, but like if you make the throw, then it's great. That matters. It's a great throw by Purdy, mm. that touchdown to Ayuk on the scramble drill. I mean, Tyson Campbell stops running in the direction of the football, and that's the only thing that lets it go over his head. That's a scouting report. Throw oh, back across Tyson Campbell. He'll yeah. stop running. Anyway, that's the kind of play where if that's picked off by Tyson Campbell, which he's in position to do, you'd be like, this is why Brett, this is why Brett Favre has shown us we don't make this throw. This is why. And previously, like last week, you had a couple of those plays, and you're like, how did he get away with that? And then this week, there's a third one. It's like he's in the bag of this, like the anti-Brett Favre throw. Um, and then, you know, Jameis. I just, this, that was the play anyway that made me Got be it. like, hey, where, why have we had this current spate of these things? Yeah, Brock Purdy had a great game. Um, Arguably his best in the NFL, as you say. The 49ers pass rush was just wrecking shop. There was a bunch of plays where it seemed like every time Nick Bosa uh, and Chase Young got pressure, it was at the same time. They were Ohio State-style meeting at the quarterback multiple times early in the game. Javon Hargrave was getting into the action as well. Um, wasn't, you know, all the way through the game, but certainly early those guys were a real problem. Yeah, it was one of those games uh, – Trevor Lawrence was only under pressure for 10 dropbacks. It did feel worse than that. But on those 10 dropbacks, he goes 0 for 4, has five sacks. Um, There's a negated play in there as well. Uh, and most of it did come, like, in the first half. It's like yeah. they – I mean, obviously they it's, – it's like once the game got in control, they it sort of eased off or they got a better handle on it. But, like, the first half was almost all of that pressure. Um, other So a couple other key plays here. The the bomb to Kittle mm. on second and one, they chuck it up. It ends up was a seventy five yard touchdown, whatever sixty six sixty six yard touchdown uh, to George Kittle. That was a great throw under pressure, catch. under pressure, yeah. right tight pocket. And again, the Niners taking a chance. Um, I don't know how much we can reveal from our conversation with Bobby, but he had recently. I was obviously he knows Kyle and the Niners probably less than you're about to reveal, but yeah, I'm on. just saying he had recently 
just watched Purdy against the Bengals because they're playing yeah. Cincinnati. Um, and I guess he basically, you know, he kind of made the suggestion maybe uh, to get out of this little funk, they need to come out chucking it. You know, is that allowed? Is that too much? I mean, again, it's it's. That's why he's not coming on the show here. Yep. That's why he's never going to be on the show. Right. Um, he did. He did point out that he's he's aware that you reveal. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't listen to us. He's not, <laughs> he was joking with me. Um, I don't know. It felt like the Niners came out and said, "Let's get back. Let's get this pass game back on track. Let's let's try to create some shot plays here." And they, you know, especially on second and one, like I said with Kittle, um, and it worked. I thought this was. Early season, dominant 49ers, the team that for a stretch looked like the best team in the NFL. Add that to the pass with the with the pass rush, and they had it all going in this game. Yeah, no, this was a complete performance. And then, you know, they it was it was closer than the score for a while. And then San Francisco had that monster play where they um, they stripped Christian Kirk in the red zone, return it for what looked like a touchdown. Uh, Thomas was it Avery Thomas. Yeah. Um, just an insane play. Like, what strips. was that final call? So he strips the strips the ball, recovers it, gets up. But he's on the floor, dives on it. Then was like, oh, I, I'm free. Jumps up, returns it all the way for a touchdown. Uh, they take it off the board, and this is the kind of penalty that, if I was a head coach, would piss me off more than anything else in the world. They take the touchdown off the board because, in celebrating the turnover, the 49ers bench essentially runs onto the field. During the return, which is an, like a penalty, they called it unsportsmanlike or something. Was the umbrella term that they that took the, the touchdown off the yes. board? So it was a penalty because they did like the, they ran onto the field essentially and obstructed the play as it was happening. You're like, how hard is it to just stay on the sideline? But also, what's the difference between that and Josh Allen pointing? Because they called that unsportsmanlike, but they didn't take the touchdown off the board. Because this which like I think ends is the right. play. Because this. Like, as soon as the sideline, like, bounces on it, like, it's like the Stanford oh, play, I got you. right? It's like the play's done because you've just... Fans on the field. Yeah, you've just, you've interfered with the play. Josh Allen is just, like, you know, taunting during the course of a play, which is applied after the play finishes. So, like, if I was a coach, I mean, if this was a close game, can you imagine that being the difference between winning and losing? Like, you morons couldn't stop running four yards onto the field? Like, Really? That's one of the dumbest penalties. That was collective. Like, a whole bunch of them did it. Ridiculous. Anyway, huge play by them. Um, they end up, ends up not mattering, obviously, because they ran away with it. But, God, that would have that driven me insane if I was a coach. Yeah, I'd be furious. That would be bad. Um, but, like I said, so dominant outing by the Niners. One thing we forgot on the preview show. Forgot to mention. Forgot to think about this. Mm-hmm. You know, Trayvon Walker for the Jags. You know, him and Josh Allen – because it's kind of, they've got some like old school three four elements where they're the two edge rushers, but they'll both drop into coverage eight, 12, 15 times a game between the two of them, and that Kyle Shanahan and the Niners are going to be able to exploit that, and they did that early on. Trayvon Walker in coverage, George Kittle gets behind him for a big game. I mean, this was I met I I referenced a couple old Niners Jags games on the preview show. The one way back in '99 where the Jags won forty one to three, just as a joke. But the one where Kyle Shanahan came in and they beat up the 2017 Jags and just dominated from start yeah. to finish. That's what this game felt like, where it's like, oh, you've got Trayvon Walker dropping into coverage? All right, that's dumb. Here's George Kittle for a 20, you know, 30-yard gain, whatever it was, 29-yarder. Um, 49ers had answers, and they dominated up front. Chase Young looks like he's going to fit. 
pass rush was fierce, like you said, early on. Um, and then from a Jags perspective, I think we just get back to this. They've, they've had games where they just don't show up over the last couple of years. They've also bounced back from those, much like the Bengals. But they've had these random games where they don't show up, like training camp. Sometimes they, you know, they have a great day one, you know, one day and bad the next, like when we were there. Hmm. And uh, those are tough to predict here. I yeah. also think it still brings into those questions: Are the Jags ready to compete with the best teams? Right. And this is like the Jag- the Jags and the Lions are effectively the same team in, in alternate conferences in terms of unexpectedly supposed to be the top team in their division. You know, relative to sort of historical context, like they're the team that's now emerging. They want to be contenders. Now the question is, how for real are you? And they're going to go through a series of litmus tests over the course of the season. Both teams have been passing most of them so far, but like this is the kind of game, similar like Dallas, same thing, right? Like, yeah, San Francisco are one of the teams that is unquestionably the standard, even though they went on a three-game losing skid. Like, you are going to have to run up against a team like that, and if they beat the crap out of you, it's not a good sign for where you stand relative to true contenders. Mentioned on the previous show, there was this for the Jacks, this game against the Niners, the Bengals, uh, they have a Thursday night game at home. They got the, the Ravens in a primetime game. Like those are some of those, those big tests. They passed the Bills test a few weeks back in London, but uh, this was a rough one for the Jags, for Trevor Lawrence. Like I said, under pressure, fumbles once. Couple picks in there that were kind of weird, but um, man, just credit the Niners being back on track. Yeah, I thought Trayvon Walker had a solid game actually, even outside of that. Like they, he had a couple of plays where he beat Colton McKibbins pretty badly. Um, got a couple of hits on the quarterback. Like his power, I mean, he does he does show off that power and bull rush yeah. at times. You do see the yeah, yeah, you do see the. There's a few plays, um, usually a, a play or two every game where you're immediately reminded that the guy literally has the best athletic profile of any edge rusher to enter the NFL in the history of the game. Like, sometimes you see these athletic freaks, and it never really shows up on the field. Whatever about the player Walker will or will not become, you do see that at least once or twice every game. You're like, oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's why they drafted him number one overall. Now, there, there is also this element of he doesn't – him and – he doesn't get as many opportunities to like legitimately just put his hand in the dirt and rush. Right. There's there is a lot of like oh, I'm a stand up linebacker. Am I dropping into coverage? I'm gonna I'm gonna chip the tight end on my way to the quarterback or whatever it might be. He doesn't get as many of those pure opportunities. I don't know if that affects his production a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, Trayvon Walker remains just intriguing because he went number one overall. Right. I do. So he there, there's a graph posted by the guys at ESPN that had his pass rush win rate basically the same as Aiden Hutchinson's and there were a few people tweeting at me being like oh I see Trayvon Walker's actually really good why didn't you why were you so hard on the kid you should clap back well I'm just clap back the automated pass rush win rate from ESPN has some problems to it right because it's done it's automated there's a reason you don't let a computer do everything in the world because much as AI, like that picture that AI created of you and your son, there were some flaws in that picture. Because AI, good as it is, has some blind spots. I forgot to send that to Kelly. And we don't allow AI to do everything in the world because sometimes people know better than machines, right? The ESPN automated pass rush win rate thing has some issues. They've talked about themselves. 
because it's done by proximity. It's automated by proximity and essentially angles of bodies, and therefore the computer determines whether or not this was pressure. But that means it is generous to certain types of plays, amongst them guys that are like driven beyond the quarterback but are quite close to the quarterback while it's happening, right? So if you're a quarterback, you drop back, you're looking downfield, and a guy right behind you is, you know, reaching out to get the ball but doesn't get there. That's not pressure. You, you are literally unaware that it's happening. And as long as your tackle maintains that block and keeps moving him past you, you didn't affect the play at all. You were literally un, you were completely unaffected. To us, with a human analyzing this, looking at that and going, quarterback never feels that. It's never pressure. Tackle's always in control of that block. It's not a pressure. To a computer doing it on proximity, it's pressure. So, long story short, do not send us those ESPN well, pressure numbers. So you get Don't certain guys it. where you know, I, you're like, you look at it and you're like, that evens itself out, right? It's, it's a flaw. Everyone's going to get them. Everyone's going to lose them. Then it, it, it sorts itself out in the wash. Only it doesn't. So there are certain players that are unusually prone to those types of plays, and those will skew high in ESPN's pass rush win rate metric, and they will be much lower on ours where we look at those plays and say none of those are pressures. So Trayvon Walker apparently is one of those players where he has an unusually high pass rush win rate by them relative to what we get. And I think I don't think it's outlandish to say if you simply sat down and watched Aiden Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker back-to-back this year, they're not in the same ballpark in pass rush win rate. Well said, Sam. Thank you. Uh, both teams six and three, Niners and Jacks. Last thing about this game. Oh, you have more. Just one last thing. Uh, it was pretty funny that in an absolute blowout, that's when Christian McCaffrey's 17 straight games with a touchdown streak ends. It was further funny that at the end of the game, they were desperately trying to force feed Christian McCaffrey a touchdown to keep the streak alive and still couldn't get it to, to happen. Like they just, they were trying to get him that 18th consecutive game of the touchdown. And Debo had a touchdown. Couldn't make it happen. Everyone had a touchdown. Usechek had a touchdown. Yeah. They interviewed McCaffrey afterwards. Like, yeah, I suck. Everybody except me scored in this game. 34 to 3. Niners win. Yeah. To revenge. Revenge for the 1999 41-3 Jaguars win. They bided they bide their time well. Yeah. And now, strike. All right, let's go to the 4 o'clock games. Detroit Lions, 41. Los Angeles Chargers, 38. A 4.05 start for this game, mm-hmm. which I was surprised. Like this was, the, this was the premier game in the 4 o'clock window. And it was like, boom, starting at 4.05. Unbelievable back-and-forth game. Lots to unpack here. Lions move to 7-2. and two. Chargers move to 4-5. and five. Uh, Lions offense pretty much unstoppable throughout the entire game. Almost 200 yards rushing in the first half alone. Um, Jameer Gibbs 177 in the first half, which was the most since 1991 for them. Yeah. Early Barry. Yeah, that was the year that they – did they win the division that year? They made it to the playoffs. That was their last playoff win. Hmm. That would be a good game to watch historically. The 91 Cowboys-Lions playoff game, I believe it was. Which was the year – where Barry had like Barry like led the league in rushing and then got like minus three in a playoff game on like twenty carries or something. It might insane. be that game again uh, yeah. when Washington won the Super Bowl because that probably them. wouldn't be a great game to watch. Other than simply no, the to game find out how before Barry, that yeah. Other than simply to watch a game and find out how Barry carried fifteen times for negative yardage or whatever. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot in this game. It was obviously back and forth with both offenses. Justin Herbert played great for the Chargers as well. Goff played outstanding for the Lions. 
but they were running like crazy in the first half, including David Montgomery with a 75-yarder. Now, David Montgomery has never really been a big play breakaway threat. He's been a good 15-yard, you know, that's his breakaway run. You know why he made it? Why? Jamison Williams. Oh, that, wow, yeah, him blocking down the field was unbelievable. So I've, I've crapped on Jamison Williams a little bit this season, but that dude showed another way to use blazing speed. That was outstanding. He gained like five yards on a bunch of people and got himself in the way of, I think, Asante Samuel Jr. That's not a touchdown without Jamison. Jamison Williams, like, you think speedster takes the top off a of defense, creates touchdowns out of nothing. He created a touchdown with a block. If yeah. Jamison Williams doesn't haul ass and move his 4-3 speed up the sideline ahead of his running back and Asante Samuel Jr., that's a tackle somewhere between the line of scrimmage and the end zone. Jamison Williams turns that play into a touchdown with a block that, frankly, he didn't have to make, you know? Like, a lot of the guys would not have gone out of their way to, to sprint full speed and make that block. He did that. So it wasn't in the pass game where everyone expects it to happen, but kudos. That was a kudos play. I, I did James notice Williams. that. I didn't know that's where you were going with that. I did notice that. That was awesome. I mean, full team football there. There's so many fascinating things in this game. So Jameer Gibbs is getting a lot of the carries early on. Looks so explosive. I mean, he is creating – Big plays in the pass game and in the run game and looking good. Montgomery, as I mentioned, it just decided to become a big play threat as well. Um, so the run game was going nuts in the first half. Chargers come out. They're overloading for the run in the second half. Then Jared Goff starts picking them apart, and he was a little bit in the first half anyway. Uh, Amonra St. Brown has eight catches for 156. They're getting their tight ends open, as they always do. Late in the game, dialing up a beautiful seam route to Brock Wright on play action. I mean, Ben Johnson just play call after play call. Mm. The Lions, just incredible. Um, but there were so many extremes in this game. There were fourth down decisions to go for it on both sides. The Lions just refused to kick anything and just kept going for it. They went for it on fourth and a uh, fourth and five and ran the ball yeah. up the middle <laughs> and got it, and then came back with a third and six run that got it into fourth and inches, and they just kept going for it on fourth down. They got stopped on fourth down one time, didn't matter. They got the they came back on the next drive, went for it on fourth down, got into the end zone. This was uh, every now and again. It feels like the futuristic game where we're just never going to punt, we're never going to kick both teams, and it's mostly going to work. And we're going to score a ton of points. But that was the way the Lions were so aggressive. And then just really quick to cap it off, the very end of the game. Okay? So I don't know if someone else is going to tune in to ESPN shows and Fox shows and everything. The shouty shows. The shouty shows. If this failed, and it was a Brandon Staley or it was any other coach, if this decision failed, the shouty shows are going nuts. Okay? Mm -hmm. But Dan Campbell on fourth and two. In a tie game with two minutes left in the fourth quarter, with the field in field goal range, easy field goal on fourth and two, not fourth and inches, goes for it. They convert and then just run the clock out and kick the game ending field goal. That decision wins the game for the Lions. All of his fourth down decisions added up, win the game for the Detroit Lions. And it's a rare instance where a coach is actually more aggressive than the analytics. Like we had, we talked 
about the Nick Saban thing, right? And this general approach from coaches of skewing more conservative than the numbers would suggest. And actually, they're being dragged to this slowly. I saw at least one model say the right decision is to kick. Like, not go for it on fourth and two. Like, usually it's presented. The analytics always says go for it. Well, this was one where at least one model said don't. They actually kick the field goal. That's the right play. And instead, Campbell is more aggressive than that, picks it up, and essentially wins the game with that. Um, This felt like the game that Arthur Smith is always chasing, right? Where it's like, I'm going to be – I'm going to always do the last thing that they expect. And the last thing that they expect will leave them just, like, grasping at straws and having no – like, being nowhere – Like Ben Johnson, everything was the opposite of what the Chargers were expecting. They had no clue what was happening at any point in this game. Every single time, they went right, he went left. They went short, he went deep. Like Everything was the exact opposite of what they were expecting. And it it was working. Now, like, Jared Goff had a great game. He hit basically everything that was there. But this felt like a game where Ben Johnson is – out coaching the opposition by a mile. Yeah, Kellen Moore was doing okay, but like the the sort of the the Titanic struggle was Jared Goff executing the wizardry that Ben Johnson is dialing up, and Justin Herbert delivering seed, seed after seed to like keep them in the game. Some of which were nice plays that were dialed up. The other of which was just like Herbert making some magic happen. Like it felt very much. The Lions was a complete effort. Everybody was doing an incredible job, but they were absolutely winning the coaching battle. The other way was a lot closer, I think, between Kellen Moore and the the Lions defense. Yeah, I mean, in addition to, I think, all of the Lions personnel moves. So when we were trying to explain or, you know, when we're analyzing the Jameer Gibbs at 12 overall pick Mm -hmm. during the draft, it's like, okay, too high for a running back. Let's let's get that out of the way. And now let's talk about what's going to happen on the field. And for weeks, people were saying, well, Gibbs needs more carries. You know, just got to gotta feed him, feed him, feed him. And I kept saying, like, just just wait a little bit, right? Like, you don't need – he doesn't need to have 30 carries a game. He doesn't need to have 30 touches. But this was that game where all of the playmakers are difficult to cover for the Lions, right? Amonra St. Brown owns the middle of the field. Good luck covering him. The two tight ends, Sam Laporta, Brock Wright, he was, the, like you said, the afterthought – and it's like they dial up a play to get him open up the seam. Khalif Raymond, you know, they dial up his plays in the fourth quarter to get him into space. Jameer Gibbs doesn't need to be fed. It's just when it's his turn and it's time for him to get the ball in his hands on, you know, on sweeps in the pass game, he's going to create big plays. And that's what he's done. And you have to, as a defense, get off blocks and tackle the battering ram of David Montgomery, who now has big playability. You have to handle the battering ram of David Montgomery. You have to handle the explosiveness of Jameer Gibbs, the route running of Amonra St. Brown, the explosiveness of Khalif Raymond and Jamison Williams, the tight end mismatch of Sam Laporta. This is the full Lions offense. In addition to the head coach saying, we're better than you on offense. We're going to go for it on fourth down because we trust all of these playmakers that I just cited. We trust our offensive coordinator has good plays to call and we're just going to keep the pressure on opposing defenses. I mean, and so you could criticize Detroit's defense for giving up 38 and being in this position, but offensively, this was like a near-perfect game for them. All Like the totality of the quarterback play, the running back play, the offensive line, the playmakers, the aggressiveness, unbelievable effort by Detroit from an offensive standpoint. Did you see Khalil Mack 
Khalil Mack's quotes? I have the quote. I put it in my, in my document here. Nice. Yes. Go on, then. Uh, he says they, are, they prepared as a defense for certain things, and the Lions did the opposite. Yeah. In 500 yards, that's not acceptable. But not only that, the rushing yards is what pissed me off the most. It's just even – it's hard to even talk about. One last thing really quick. Was it – I remember the Titans a few years ago. They said they were going to run exotic smash mouth offensively which was like, it's kind of intriguing, right? Like, we're going to run the ball, but in creative ways, and sometimes it's going to be downhill, and sometimes it's going to be wide, and sometimes it's going to be finesse, but it's going to be power. Like, that's the Lions. They are exotic smash mouth. We're going to run the ball in different ways, creative ways, but not because we're just better than you, but, like, we're going to call the right plays and, as you said, do what the defense is not expecting. Yeah, but that 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 first line sums it up. Like, the Lions and Ben Johnson on that side of the ball were a step ahead from the outset. I mean, obviously, they came in there specifically to break tendencies and do the opposite of what they'd done before, and they, the, the Chargers never got back to being on the same page. Like, they were a step behind from the first play to the, the last play and never caught up. Yeah, man. It was, uh, it was really fun to watch. The Chargers, on the other hand offensively they hung tough and Herbert played an outstanding game to get them back in he had one but it was his best game of the year it was I mean one little blip he tried to throw the ball away and uh, gets picked off by Kirby Joseph along the sideline outstanding play by Joseph other than that though um, I thought they had the they had their own fourth and one where they rolled Herbert out found Keenan Allen for a long touchdown um, my concern with uh, look Herbert was awesome Keenan Allen was awesome again you talk about the best receivers in the NFL this year Keenan Allen has been so good. The Chargers just feel so fragile. And they threatened to lose him for a while. He went down with a shoulder injury. I was like, if yeah. they lose him. If they lose him, it's like, what are they going to do? Yeah. And, and um, when I was saying, like, Kellen Moore dialed up some good stuff as well. There was the, the play you mentioned to Keenan Allen, the, the touchdown to Johnston where they, you know, fake a goal line pitch and then just over the top, Johnston's wide open. So it's not like it was all Herbert, but I think there was a greater proportion where – like, Herbert has to deliver an absolute dime for them to get the production and this thing to keep moving down and match Detroit. Like, Detroit's was far more. The Chargers defense was never yeah. anywhere. And Jared Goff just had to, like, keep going. Whereas Herbert was doing a lot of the heavy lifting in addition to Kellen Moore dialing up some plays. Um, the, one, the one other thing I wanted to mention. So the Chargers got stopped on fourth down like seven straight times i'm sorry on the goal line seven straight times um they went for it on fourth and goal there's a penalty you know could have been an iffy penalty but that prolonged the drive so they got stopped basically on four straight plays then they had three more plays where they got stopped like they were getting stuffed on qb sneaks and the whole deal and then went for it again and i think romo and you know i thought romo actually had a good game he was calling some of his calls were right romo, good, a good game, game. calling calling what was going to happen but it was the same thing that happened with Peyton Manning on the Manning cast last year where you saw you just saw multiple failures in short yardage and then fourth down comes up. And I think the old school mentality is like, okay, well, we just, we just didn't get, it, get in the end zone seven straight times. Of course we're going to kick. We can't just go for it again. But the eighth time worked, and the Chargers did go for it, and that was the, the, the play they dialed up to Quentin Johnson for the touchdown. Um, it just brings up, I don't think that – previous success or failure matters a whole lot and I think that's one of the hardest things for coaches to maybe wrap their brain around where it's like oh man we're really struggling in short yardage today therefore we can't 
you know, go for it on fourth down in short yardage because we're not having a day. Like previous failures don't necessarily matter. Um, but those are the types of things that did keep the Chargers in the game. Um, so from that perspective, credit Brandon Staley. Uh, where I don't want to credit Brandon Staley is this is his defense, and they continue to just get absolutely whooped, and they have good personnel. They have good, solid personnel. They've had good, solid personnel over the last few years, and they don't have answers, man. They don't have answers when they go up against the Chiefs. They don't have answers when they go up against the Lions. They have answers when they go up against rookie quarterbacks maybe, bad offenses. They don't have too many answers on the defensive side of the ball, the Chargers. No. Um, and we've really reached the point, like the end of the line, of being able to craft any kind of excuse for that. Like you were a defensive-minded head coach. The personnel should be there for this defense to be good. Um, you know, we questioned, hey, when like Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack had been killing it in recent weeks, um, you know, Bosa had been injured early in their season. You're like, is this it? Are they back? Or did they just run up against some pretty bad offensive lines? Well, this game, they run up against a good offensive line, and those guys got pretty much shut down. So even the things that had been working a bit were not good. And as you say, like, or as I said, the, the, they got outcoached, badly outcoached. I mean, they were, out, they, were, they were ill-prepared in terms of being prepared for the wrong thing, and then at no point in the game were they ever anything other than a step behind the Lions every step of the way. And okay... You know, Brandon Staley is not the defensive coordinator. He's the head coach. So it's not like it's necessarily directly his responsibility the way it is with Kyle Shanahan, who is literally the offensive coordinator in addition to being the head coach. It's not the same dynamic there. On the other hand, if you're hired as a defensive-minded, you got two, like, there's one of two things can happen. If you're a defensive coach hired to be the head coach, either you win a lot of games, in which case nothing matters, Right. You know what I mean? Like Tomlin. Nobody cares if Tomlin's defense is doing well. It's the fact that Tomlin keeps getting wins from nowhere, and that's why Tomlin's a good head coach. Or your defense is playing out of its mind like Robert Sala, and the fact that you're not necessarily winning games can be excused because the offense stinks and it's not 100% your fault, right? Brandon Staley at the moment, neither of those things is happening. The defense is getting blowtorched, and they're not winning enough games to, for, it, for nobody to notice or for nobody to care. It's like, this is a problem, and this is probably only one way that problem stops happening. And Staley looked like the perfect head coaching hire at the time for that division to to beat the Chiefs, right? Like he's people didn't know like oh too high is going to slow down the Chiefs a little bit in 2021 before he got hired, but it was the hot scheme, it was the Fangio tree, it was you know invite the run and stop the pass, don't give up any big plays like the 2020 Rams Staley's team. Uh, looked like a perfect defense to slow down the Chiefs and, uh, and the perfect head coach to, to run the show, and it just um, just hasn't been, mm -hmm. just has not been whatsoever. Um, so, Lions 7-2, 41-38 win, Chargers fall to 4-5. and five. Uh, Arizona Cardinals 25, Atlanta Falcons 23. This was another one of those walk-off field goal games for the Cardinals. They moved to 2-8, and eight. Falcons fall to 4-6. and six. Kyler Murray made his return the Arizona Cardinals, and it was his scamper. I think when he scamper. runs, it's a scamper. Scamper. Right? The scamper. Yeah. yeah, immediately scampering as well. He we, does look like the toddler stealing the, the, the cell phone mm. that the scout descriptions I saw had that, a few years ago. Did you see they had a revised picture without a wildly disproportionate football in it? Oh, did they? <laughs> They're like, let's tilt the yeah, angle up somebody's a little bit. Found, they found a different angle for him to hold the ball so that nice. it didn't look so ridiculous. 
Um, yeah, like we we were wondering heading into the game, right? Is this what version of Kyler Murray is this going to be? Are they going to, you know, lean into part of what makes him a potentially special quarterback? Like immediately he was scampering, and the end the end of this game, like that looked like some vintage Oklahoma Kyler Murray, you know, where he was like running around making wild things happen back there. Yeah. There were a couple of those plays, like right at the death. He had a play that looked right out of that Oklahoma offense where you're like, how is he even doing this? It, third and ten, and he he finds a way to move the chains. Yeah. Um, and then they get further into field goal range with maybe one of his worst throws. He <laughs> underthrow down the field where uh, Trey McBride kind of bails him out. He just and, went full nuke. Like, I'm going to toss the defender yeah. out of my way to grab this. Yeah, I, I went through all Murray's, you know, biggest throws or whatever during the game, and there was some weird – Miss it. There were some nice ones, a couple big time throws in there, some weird misses, and I don't know if it was a timing. Like he underthrew several passes down the field, hmm. and I don't know if that was just a timing vision. Like usually when people underthrow things, you blame arm strength, but like when you throw the ball twenty five yards instead of thirty, that's not an arm strength thing. That's that's inaccuracy. Also, rarely an arm strength thing. It's very rarely an arm strength thing, right? Unless you're trying to throw the ball sixty and you only get it forty five. Um, he was just off throwing the ball down the field, and then very good on some of the you know, intermediate throws. So it was, I think you saw some rust maybe from Kyler Murray, yeah. but athletically you saw him scampering mm-hmm. and, uh, and make it plays also at, you know, keeper for a touchdown, the scramble to put them into field goal range. Um, pretty promising, I think for Kyler's return. Yeah. I mean the, the fact that he looks athletically all the way back immediately and, and is the most important thing. And I think even with this version where it did look a bit rusty, it's still an upgrade over anything they've had this season. Even with Josh Dobbs playing pretty well, I think Kyler Murray at this level is immediately better than that. And, I mean, for from his perspective, like, this this was a good return, and it bodes well for what he can show them for the second half of the season in terms of staying there going forward, which is the big thing. Like, he needs to – it's not like he needs to win the job, but, like, he has the chance to do – to win that job in two different ways. So, number one, prove that he's the guy – and number two, win enough games that they don't have a shot at Caleb Williams anyway. Like he can, he can do both parts of that. Like attack this thing from two different directions. Um, and from their perspective, like if Kyler Murray wins enough games that they don't have a shot at Drake May and Caleb Williams, then that's a, that probably answers the question from them anyway. Like, hey, he is the guy. And by the way, we don't longer have a choice in the matter. I, I always come back to the. Well, I'll have so much time this offseason to talk about it, but really quickly, when you put in that balance sheet together, it's. You have Kyler Murray on one side, plus if you have the second, third, fourth pick, everything you might be able to get from a trade, right, or a Marvin Harrison Jr. or whatever, right, those are the potential things versus what you'd get for Kyler Murray in a trade plus, say, the new quarterback, a Drake May or whatever it might be. I mean, those are intriguing possibilities on either side, I think, for Arizona. Um, but, a you know, a serious one is – keeping Kyler Murray and getting an elite player at yeah. the top of the draft. But I think it's I think it's interesting that it's kind of going to take care of itself. Like you almost don't need to evaluate Kyler Murray. You could kind of judge it by wins and losses and just say, look, if they win enough games that they don't have a shot at that quarterback anyway, yeah. he's the guy. If they don't, then maybe he isn't. <clears throat> Even if he's good, though, there's enough inconsistency in his career that, I don't know, it could be challenging uh, to make that decision. Uh, other side, Falcons, uh, B. John Robinson found the end zone. Hmm. Which was nice. Well, Bijan finally got the kind of workload people are were demanding, and unfortunately, Atlanta lost the game. 
So Arthur Smith is the real winner here. Atlanta is now 0-2 in games in which B. John Robinson has a rushing touchdown. <laughs> I'm just pointing out some facts here. Yeah. For the fantasy folks. Uh-huh. Sorry. Um, yeah, Bijan goes 22 carries for 95 yards and a score. Um, fantasy people are weird. You guys, just because the first touchdown went to Scotty Miller, mm. like it's just a mesh play. Yeah, you he's say running. That. The, oh, it's like oh, we they're feeding Scotty Miller. He's he's earning all the red zone targets. It's like he just was the receiver running a route who came open on the play. Uh-huh. Fantasy people are mad when touchdowns go to the wrong people. Um, Taylor Heineke gets hurt. Desmond Ritter has to come in. Ritter ends up with a touchdown on a keeper as well. That bet's still alive, right? We have somebody waiting for 10 touchdowns for Ritter, mm. one of the betters. Ten, he, was, was 10 rushing touchdowns. Rushing touchdowns. Yeah. Isn't he like four or five right now? Probably, yeah. Yeah. So that bet's still alive with the Heineke injury. We'll see what happens coming out of there. Um, but, yeah, Atlanta, I think kind of a disappointing game for their, for their defense these last couple of weeks. I've been talking up their defense and their um, – not making the key stops late in the game these last few weeks. No. Um, I was just looking at that touchdown. I was curious because the you know you made this point yesterday that, hey, he's the last read in mesh. It's not like the play was dialed up for Scotty Miller. I was yeah, like, tell me this, about it. This may be true. Having said that, I don't know who was on the field at the time, but the only other receiver I noticed on the field was Van Jefferson. <laughs> so I was kind of – I was went to look at it just on the off chance that he, he – his personnel grouping was like Scotty Miller, Van Jefferson, Jonu Smith – Tyler out, like all of the players that shouldn't be on the field. It wasn't. It was Scotty Miller, Van Jefferson, and then three actual players that everybody wants the football, Bijan, uh, Drake London, and Kyle Pitts. Yeah. So, so like the fantasy analysis, they're like, oh, why is Scotty Miller getting the red zone touches? It's like, oh, that's the – that was the play. Yeah. That was the play. They didn't go in saying, we're going to get Scotty on this one. Mm. So, they, yeah. They caught it. Heineke goes out. Ritter comes in, gets his rushing touchdown. There's basically no difference whether they're playing Taylor Heineke or Desmond Ritter. It's the same guy, and it's not good enough. Um, but that, like, I don't think that made a particularly big difference to the to the outcome. It's just what ended up happening. Um, back to Arizona, really quick. Greg George, Dorch with a huge punt return yep. to set up what should have been a Michael Wilson touchdown. How did that? Give it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't even. So it was State a great case. A great play by Michael Wilson, right? Catches it, breaks two tackles, drags a third guy over the line, and apparently it was down inside the one. Now, I want to preface this by saying I didn't actually see the replay, but I from from the live view, I don't see how he could have been down inside the one. And even if he was, I don't care. I have decided that if I come to power, right, and I will do Roger's job for a fraction of the money he's bringing in, What's the man on? Like seventy million a year now? I'll do it for two, right? Two million a year. I'll be head commissioner of the NFL. I'll take all the crap from the owners. I'm happy with that. Uh, two million. You save a fortune. One of the first things I would implement is, if it's a touchdown, you're no longer allowed to call it downside the one. If you called it live on the field and you said touchdown, don't show me a replay that says he was down at the six inch line. I don't care. I don't want it to happen anymore. The number of plays yesterday, they were like, but there's a flag on the play. Or, wait, they're talking about this one. No, stop it. That was a great play by Michael Wilson. He broke three tackles, or two and a half. It was like a simple out route, and he then dragged the guy into the end zone. It's a touchdown. Stop it. Don't take it away from him. The end. Then Clayton Toon came in and stole the touchdown. Yeah. 
vote for uh, Sam for commissioner. I'm with you, man. So I need no that more Palazzolo for GM. I can get commissioner Sam. You're just trying to trying to one up me, huh? Well, I mean, look, I'll fight a role for you in the administration. You could be the the guy. What's his name? Brian Murphy, the guy that has to like <laughs> feed all of my idiot policies to the people. Like you're P, the PR guy, right? No. Comment the spokesman. That's it. The official NFL spokesman can be Steve Palazzolo. No, I'll would. come up with this idiot scheme, right? Replay is now illegal for touchdowns, and you have to go out I'll there be, and explain it to everybody. I just want my four-year GM contract. There, I you know get canned after a year and a half. And yeah collect money for the next two and a half and that's the goal the a&m guy was jimbo fisher is that his yeah, name yeah that's the dream 70 million to not coach the team that's yeah, beautiful that's what you want yeah but your but your ego man your, your reputation 70 million i wouldn't give a rat's ass about my reputation yeah so you know it's another reason why uh passing touchdowns are you know a quirky stat not the only thing to look at kyler loses a passing touchdown well to be i mean like yeah. Not that he earned it the first, but I'm just saying the touchdowns in general are just, you know. Michael finicky. Wilson is the guy that got home. Wilson did a really nice job there. Uh, Trey McBride uh, playing really well at tight end for Arizona these last few weeks. He had an awesome game again, eight catches for 131. He has become a weapon. He was probably the top tight end in last year's draft class, but a consensus top tight yeah. end goes in the second round and has been a huge piece of Arizona's offense the last few weeks. And had been, like, curiously not a factor up until he became, like, a dominant force in the offense. It was slightly strange. I was like, if he hasn't done anything up until now, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't the guy. And then all of a sudden he explodes. And it's like, oh, yeah, you see? This is a dude that was his offense in college and then was just doing nothing in the NFL and suddenly has exploded as being one of the most impactful tight ends in the league. Ends up being a huge loss, obviously, for the Falcons. They haven't had their bye yet, so they're four and six. But the difference between four and six and five and five, I mean, that's first place in the NFC South. Um, Arizona moves to two and eight and uh, creeping up in the draft or down in the draft. Away, unfortunately, yeah. Wrong away direction. from that number one overall um, pick. More smart game management stuff, though, at the end of the game for them. Like, they, they're ex- they finally get the, um, the plays – they have the ball. They're trying to eat it out. They're going to score. And James Conner, in particular, like deliberately did not score multiple times. Like yep. they, they specifically, rather than take a touchdown and give Atlanta the chance of having the ball back and being able to answer, they just kept basically hitting the ground, like diving and then like late of the walk-off field goal, as you say. So they had a chance to score a touchdown, go up even more, but give the ball back to the opposition and were smart enough to not take it. And you're, you're not excited by walk-off field goals. Not even slightly, no. No. Because most of the time it's like, we already knew this was going to happen. I mean, it's a field goal, so who cares? Yeah, nobody's like watching it's the, the win. That's Just the let me know part. after if they hit it. Yeah. I'll, I'll know the result. Like a walk-off touchdown is exciting. A walk-off field goal is just the way the game ended. All right, we've got three more games to discuss here. Uh, Seattle, Seahawks, uh, Seattle Seahawks 29, Washington Commanders 26. This was an exciting walk-off field goal, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, the moments leading up to it. Yeah, that's the thing. Exciting. It's the moments leading up to it that's the exciting part. It's not the walk-off field goal. This was a field goal fest for a while. Uh, 12-9, Washington was up into the third quarter. Then you have uh, Geno Smith gets the ball into the flat to Kenneth Walker, who takes it 64 yards for a touchdown. Uh, Washington comes back. They eventually tie it up at 19. Geno Smith finds Tyler Lockett for a touchdown. They go up seven. This has been how many Washington games this year? Are they just going back and forth, back and forth? Like they, 
they come back, man. That's Sam Howell hits Deami Brown for a 35-yarder with about a minute left in the game. What a beautiful touch pass over the linebackers. Hits Brown in stride. He takes it in for a touchdown. They tie it up at 26. But Geno Smith and Seattle come back and do the same thing. DK Metcalf takes over on that final drive. They get into field goal range. And, uh, man, just a beautiful uh, beautiful offense in, um, in two-minute situations by both Washington and Seattle. But Seattle pulls it off. 29-26, they move to 6-3 and three and still sitting atop the NFC West along with the Niners. Yeah, they, the quarterbacks traded, you know, game-winning drives. Only obviously the, the end one is the only one that counts. Um, like Sam Howell had, had a performance where he got it done. He drove down. He did his part. He drove down, scored, put them ahead, and then Seattle answered. And somehow, I'm not 100% sure what Washington's defense was doing on that final drive, but it's like just the entire drive was like throws to DK Metcalf, and then the last big play that got got them there was just like a simple dig route into zone coverage. It's like, what? This is just a gap in the defense. Why, why would we not attempt to cover this a little bit more than that? Yeah. It like was, that uh, spot drop stuff we talked about before, that's basically what they ran on that play. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, so it, it, sometimes we talk about how the, the late-game field goal drive is not easy, but it's like more expected than it's ever been. Even with offense down these years, that was kind of the example. I mean, Seattle had about a minute to get into field goal range. You're only talking a couple big plays to get into field goal range, and they did that. Um, uh, our Emmanuel Forbes gets booted out of the game mm. due to a head-to-head hit early on, so we were we were robbed of Emmanuel Forbes at 165 pounds going up against DK Metcalf in this game. Yeah, I don't know if that would have happened anyway, but it, it, Maybe. it ceased to become an option when she was turfed out of the game, which seemed a bit harsh, to be honest. Yeah, honestly, I it thought... It was clearly a penalty, but... I thought they were reviewing if it wasn't a penalty. No, it was, I mean, like, it was definitely a penalty. It was helmet to helmet, but I don't know. Those I, things are close. It felt like, and I don't... I'm not saying this is a... I'm not saying he flopped or anything, but it felt like the reaction of Tyler Lockett was what got that. That's what it always is. That's the problem. But like, I don't even think it was... I don't even think it was an exaggerated reaction. Like, I don't think he went... I don't think he overdid the the thing to sort of sell it and be like get him ejected. Agreed. And what I'm saying is, there's just the way that he went to the ground. I think I think increased the the punishment for that. When plays look bad, they're more likely to get flagged. That's a problem. But I think right. it was like the flag part is fine. It is. I'm just saying generally. Yeah, that like there was I think a play es- escalated it to an ejection, which I think is wrong. There was a play last night, I think in maybe Jets Raiders, where there was like a, the cleanest hit by a safety um, to a receiver who was kind of you know um, unprotected, right? Hit him in, square in the back over the middle of the field. I'm like, you could you could say defenseless, and if like you hit him harder, it's more likely to get a penalty. If you hit him too hard. Or if the guy just has a bad reaction, gets hurt, whatever, you're more likely to get a penalty. That's a problem. Because you get away from letter of the law and you get into like, oh, look bad. Call it a penalty. Anyway, that was my quick stuff. Um, That play, by the way, it's actually the defense itself wasn't as bad as I thought. It's literally just the two people playing Metcalf do a terrible job. Like Everyone else actually does a pretty good job of locking their guy down. And Juice just lets him go inside, and the safety doesn't drive on it. It's an easy pitch and catch. Uh, Geno Smith had 
uh, I thought he, he he had a good game where he was he had been turning the ball over for a while. But he you know we talked about Howell throwing the ball over the backers and Geno Smith had a couple of those throws. The the what was the go ahead touchdown to Tyler Lockett? They roll him out. He puts it down and away from coverage. That was a beautiful throw. Um, Geno Smith had a really good clean game, and he's had some of the late game magic over these these last few weeks as well. Um, so Seattle, yeah, hanging tough here, and Sam Howell remains very intriguing on the other side for Washington because I think he did his part as well, and he continues to not get sacked too much. So yeah, that's improvements being made up. here. So he does. He continues to do his part. He continues this trend of being sacked slightly less than before. Like he's no longer. He might actually still be on pace for the worst ever, but he's no longer getting sacked at that rate. This was a game where he was under pressure a lot. The Washington offensive line did not do a good job in this game. Like we've talked before about the line actually over the season is not catastrophic, but it looks terrible because of Sam Howell. Uh, this was a game where the line actually got its ass kicked by and large. Like multiple players on that line had bad games and were giving up a lot of pressure. And Sam Howell was under pressure quite a lot and quote-unquote only got sacked three times. I mean, this was a game where if this happened in week two, he would have been sacked like seven or eight times. And we would be like, this, I mean, you can't, this can't function like this. He didn't. He only got sacked three times. Now, that's still not great, but it is a big step in the right direction. And Well, when you, you drop back almost 50 times again. Right. And that is his single biggest flaw. So there is now multiple weeks' worth of evidence that his single biggest flaw has moved in the right direction, which is a huge thing for like whether he can be like an actual, real, legitimately good quarterback going forward because a lot of other stuff is there. There are big-time throws in this game. Okay, he had one bad turnover-type play where he fired it at a safety right down the middle. Um, but that's his biggest flaw, the sack thing. And he didn't – like, this wasn't bad. And the opportunity was there for it to be bad. Even the first touchdown, I mean, I don't know if it was the O-line that blew it or if he blew the protection necessarily, but he just avoids Jamal Adams, doesn't get sacked, and, you know, flips it out to Brian Robinson for a 51-yard touchdown. So, yeah, there's a lot of – a lot of good stuff in there from from Sam Howell again, even in the losing effort. Um, one other thing from a Seattle perspective, getting Jackson Smith and Jigba into the mix here these last few weeks, four catches, 53 yards. Initially, at the beginning of the season, that was the idea, right? If DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett stay healthy, Smith and Jigba becomes the three, and they're they're full go now. Then you have. Uh, Ken Walker and then Zach Charbonnet coming out of the backfield. And yeah. one of the funniest plays of this game was Charbonnet on that final drive when they're trying to conserve time under a minute, and he just runs right through a dude, mm -hmm. uh, imposing his will. And, he's, and he gets up and he's like, oh, my bad. I should have ran out of bounds. But it was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but the thing I say all the time about offenses where I, I don't know if it's really harder on defenses, but it feels like it, when you have a battering ram running back, a running back like a Ken Walker, who like you never know what gap he's going to hit, but he's got some big playability and he's tough to tackle. A monster in DK Metcalf, an elite route runner and catch point guy like Tyler Lockett, a nice slot route runner like Smith and Jigba. Like they've got all these different uh, types of playmakers that I think is going to make it challenging on defense uh, while they're all healthy. So I feel like we saw that, especially in the second half here from Seattle. Yeah, I mean that the the trio of wide receivers that. Uh, duo of running backs I mean they have a lot to work with now those th that 
it's not even a thunder and lightning combination. Just a just two very good running backs, uh, both making plays. As I said, Seattle six and three now. Commanders fall to four and six. I'm going to set a timer for three minutes. We have three minutes to wow. discuss. Dallas Cowboys 49, New York Giants 17. Okay. Ready, go. Uh, CeeDee Lamb was fantastic. The Cowboys offense generally was fantastic, other than one silly Dak interception, which was the only way that the Giants could possibly stay in this game was if, Zach, if Dak Prescott melted down the way Josh Allen did in week one. So... On the one hand, bad that he had the mistake. On the other hand, good that it was the only real big mistake. Yeah, because the Giants made a goal line stand early on, and I'm like, hmm, Giants are hanging tough. And before you know it, you look up and you pointed out to me, I knew it was 28 to nothing, but I didn't realize the Giants had 27 yards at the time. Yeah. So Dallas had more points than the, cow- than the Giants had offensive yards. And at, then it actually got worse. At the half. Yes. Yeah. Then it got worse. The Giants had fewer yards because they got sacked on back-to-back plays. Uh, Tommy DeVito had you know, his first NFL start. goes 14 of 27 for 86 yards, um, including uh, five sacks for negative 25 in there. Uh, did throw a couple touchdowns and run for 41 yards. but Mostly in garbage time, yeah. We talked about it. It was a 16.5-point spread when we recorded last week. Dallas feels like the type of team that dominates these games, and they did. Uh, notable for me, you mentioned Dak's interception because you're a hater. Um, <laughs> He was pristine other than that. It's one of the best games we've ever seen from Dak Prescott. Maybe the best throw for throw. Maybe the best game of the season from any quarterback. Official stat line was 26 of 35 for 404 and four touchdowns in that pick. But, man, big-time throws down the field. Eight Precision down the field. We'll see what the review says there. But um, And this was a game where Brandon Cooks, like all year waiting for Brandon Cooks, he goes nine catches for a buck seventy-three. That's over half of his receiving yards this year came in this game. I know it's the Giants, but man, if Brandon Cooks becomes the guy that he'd been for the last ten years or so, that's huge for Dallas. No, it is. Yeah, look, the, the big thing for Dak was not allowing that one interception to become a problem in the game. Like it was silly because Hater. it's literally the only way the Giants could have any shot in this game is if you turn the ball over to them a bunch of times. And doing that early in the game was was pretty big mistake. But then not having not letting it become any kind of factor and just stomping on them was huge. The other thing is obviously the star of this game was Tommy DeVito's dad. Yes. That man should have received the Taylor Swift treatment where, like, every play we're cutting back to the picture of Tommy DeVito's dad to see what his take was on it. He's the only human that I can remember. You know, you lip read. You could lip read his accent. (laughs) Like, there was one play where they they have the lip reading, and he's like, that's your fourth down play? And you could could feel the accent coming off the, the film. It was amazing. So camera on him at all times. Yeah, I agree. That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, I think it was probably around 93 or 94, I was at my uncle's house watching just, you know, some Sunday afternoon football, and Bubby Brister was the quarterback for the Steelers. He was filling in. Uh-huh. And my uncle was screaming at the TV because they just kept showing Bubby Brister's parents the entire game. Right. And I'd love to find this game. If anybody, if I, I got I to search it, the Bubby Brister parent game, because my uncle was like so mad. And they must have shown his parents like 15 times. He's like, I don't care about Bobby Brister's parents. I don't care. But uh, we need more, you know. If if it's the right parents, they should get more screen time. Can you do a good New York accent? No. No? no, Not at all. Mm. No. 
Okay. It's not it's not close to Boston. No, I know. So but no, you're I'm not kidding. a bad uh, mimic. You're not a bad impersonator. Uh, give me some time. I'd have to. I'd have to work. I'm trying to that. find the actual tape for you, so you can you can put your voice to his uh, to his movement. No. Well, maybe for the Wednesday show. For the Wednesday. Show. Uh, but Dallas dominated. Uh, the Giants looked like a bad football team, and it was 49 to 17. Yeah. 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 Pretty uh, conclusive stomping, as you say, and as Ross Tucker from the Ross Tucker Football Podcast says, um, they Dallas stomp, stomps bad teams better than anybody. They really do. Uh, I was thinking about it yesterday. In in nine games, Dallas has played three entertaining games for non-Cowboys fans, basically. Hmm. Lost to the Eagles was entertaining. Um, the Chargers game on Monday Night Football – and then maybe losing to the Cardinals. There's like a little drama there. Everything else has been a beat down in either way, either direction. Yeah. All right. I've had enough of that game. Cowboys move to six and three. Giants fall to two and eight, battling for that top pick again. All right. Sunday night football. Las Vegas Raiders 16, New York Jets 12. Jets got up early, uh, scored a, kicked a bunch of field goals. They had nine points or almost right off the bat. Um, I had to make a um, – anyway, I had to make a quick quick run. I had to jump into the car for a little. So I was listening to the game for, you know, about a couple plays or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, the stat points, points scored. Like, you know, it, it used to just be, you know, kicker points, you get three, touchdowns, you get six. Like, I can never look at the stat. i tell you how I don't look at normal stats. Yeah. But they cited it on the – Including the points in the game? No, like, like this kicker has 48 points oh. on the year. Right. Right, like when they, when you're a kid, like they used to serve, they'd show passing, weird, rushing, receiving, and yeah, scoring. Yeah. I right, I thought this was a weird way of telling me you didn't know what the score was. No, I knew the score. I'm right. saying like season points, but they cited a stat that like Greg Zerline has like seven, whatever, seventy one, seventy two points on the season, uh-huh. and the next closest Jet is Brees Hall with eighteen. Yeah. In other words, all their points are coming from field goals. Yeah. Which is uh, well, they have a game. historically wretched red zone offense at the moment. Um, they're actually. It's not like they're moving the ball well, but they're moving the ball a lot better than their production would indicate because every time they get to the red zone, they completely crap out. Well, yeah, I was thinking that there's not that Zach Wilson has good stats or anything, but there's definitely some games where I'm like, man, he played horribly. And then you look at the stat line and it's not near like it, the, the stats are way better than it felt. Right. There was a point in this game before he threw the pick um, where that was the case. I started feeling sorry for him at the, when he threw the pick. Remember early in the season where he had that quite good game, the one that Chris was lauding him for, and then he threw the interception that just, it's like, and he came to the sideline, he was like, you know, it's, it's like, it's my fault. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm bummed for you, but it is. Like that, it is your fault. You, you did a lot of good in this game, and you still found a way to underdo it, uh, to undo it and throw the interception and cost yourself the game. In this game, okay, it's not like he played great, but particularly late, he had a few plays that were really nice. He had one play in particular that I posted where it belonged, it, it would not be out of place if you inserted it into a Patrick Mahomes highlight reel. Yeah. He manipulated the pocket, he found space, he then like leaned around a guy and sidearm fired it accurately in a no-look pass to hit a guy running across the middle. You're like, that's, 
There's, that's literally, there's no difference between that and a classic Patrick Mahomes play. And he had a couple of really nice plays in that game. Even the final, like, not the Demi Hail Mary. Uh, that was an impressive play. That he, was actually a fun Hail Mary to watch yeah. both sides. So he got out of that. Like, that looked dead. Immediately, the Raiders get some pressure on him. You're like, oh, forget it. The game over. They're, he's rolling to the wrong side. You're like, not a chance Zach Wilson makes this play. He not only evades the pressure, he throws a little move on, was it Max Crosby, I assume, chasing him yes. down? Throws a little move on really Crosby good. to get away from him and buy him just enough time to be able to kind of set his feet and get the ball where it needed to go. And he put it in the end zone, and two different Jets had the best chance at it, and they kind of took it away from each other. But, like, he had multiple plays where he actually did a really good job, and yet he also had the big turnover, and that's the reason he lost the game. Yeah, it did. I mean, he had a no-look pass in there as well. well in addition to the, in addition to the other no-look pass? Like, this was... The one you said was... So, there was a scramble left Hail Mary. There was another scramble left or right, whatever. There was a scramble pass down the field. Yeah. And then there was just a no-look, like, you know, 8, 10-yarder. That's whatever. the one I was talking about. So oh, okay. he, he, like, manipulates the pocket, then sort of gets his way out of a guy that's in his way, fires its sidearm around him, but no-look sidearm. Oh, so the other one I was thinking, I thought you were talking about the one where it was um, – so he, just had, he had multiple good plays. That's what I'm saying. There's, yeah. like, There was another one where he got the ball down the field on the final drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before the so there uh, were like, second – there was at least three, maybe four, very, very high-level – Zach Wilson plays in this game. Like but the, the kind of play. The struggle plays. was like Dalvin Cook's wide open in the flat. Yeah. And he airmails him. Right. But or like, he misreads the stick and throws the interception. But a lot of his career, like this would have made sense as his career, right? Where a guy who had, whose highlight reel at BYU was littered with insane plays. And the question was, like, what happens when he's under more pressure and yada, yada. Like this would make sense if this was his career, where it's like, there's a bunch of really, really good plays and then a critical mistake and some misses and et cetera. But we haven't even seen this from his career. It's just been bad, like everywhere. There haven't even been the crazy flashes of brilliance in there. It's just been, he's not good. This game, he had the flashes of brilliance. He made some really good plays and then still just found like one awful, terrible play that just, that rendered him bad. Yeah. So I kind of felt sad for him then, you know, that like he made enough plays. He made the three or four brilliant plays that kind of deserved to win a game that was bad across the board. And then he found the way to undo it with one terrible mistake. Well, it's uncomfortable. I mean, it's an uncomfortable watch. It's ugly on both sides. I mean, Aiden O'Connell had his uh, rookie issues as well because he got up against the Jets defense. But um, it's in, like the intrigue for me is like, OK, will he ever learn the easy stuff? Like the easy stuff has always been seemed to be an issue for Wilson, and it's funny because when you hear when you hear them talk like through Aaron Rodgers, it's like oh, the kid's just overthinking things, mm. and it almost feels like the way he plays, it's the opposite. Like he's not just doing the simple stuff; he's actually overthinking it rather than just like, hey, it's it's wide open in the flat, just hit it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it was a rough game for Zach Wilson. Early on, he looked sharp. Dove for a touchdown that was negated. Or I mean, was you know he stepped out at the three or whatever. It looked yeah. like Mr. Sunday Night here. You know, you know this is what he did a couple weeks ago against the Chiefs, and you know he's going to play well in prime time. But even that, such an unforced like error. Like he stepped out when he didn't have to. Like if he just puts his foot an inch to the left, that's a touchdown, and it's a great play. But he didn't. Man, you're such a hater. Uh, credit the Raiders' defense, though. I mean, for whatever Zach Wilson did. 
Robert Spillane, who uh, Chris kept mentioning, is going to be the linchpin for this Raiders defense. The, the, the defensive rebuild per former linebacker Antonio Pierce is going to be through linebacker Robert Spillane. And you mocked that. And then, Listen, there's then certain happened? things I say off air, off the record, that aren't supposed to bring it to no. the show. If you can, if you can violate on and off the record protocol with PFF Bobby, I can do it for your hating. All I said is Bobby said they should chuck the ball a little bit. They should, yeah. they should pass. Well, all you said was it. that you'd fire Antonio Pierce on the spot <laughs> if he told you that Robert Spillane was the man he was going to build his defense around. I am a Robert Spillane fan. There was okay. a period of a three or four games in <laughs> Pittsburgh where he was their best linebacker by far, uh-huh. and they wouldn't put him on the field. Yeah. Robert Spillane fan. However, <laughs> when Chris said that Antonio Pierce said yeah. that he's going to build his team around Robert Spillane and Josh Jacobs, mm-hmm. I, I have my doubts. Yeah. That's all. Uh-huh. I mean, is that a fireable offense? No, because Spillane had the game-ending interception, and I was proven wrong. So Maybe it could be the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, like if Josh McDaniels had said that at the end, maybe that would be the thing. Get out of my office right now. Right. That is a ridiculous statement. Maybe that would be the thing that makes me make the decision. You know, I was on the fence before this conversation, but now you said that, we're done. Get out of here and don't come back. It's uh, so funny when you hear, like, the fallout of the guy. Like They were saying, well, Josh Jacobs... They were asking Josh Jacobs which runs he wants. Yeah. And it was like the good old days when John Gruden was there. Right. They were loving it. We got input from the players about what they would want to do in the game. And it turns out it's a miraculous impact. Uh, the other thing, remember a couple of weeks ago where the Rams watched their star quarterback injure his thumb and then dialed up a Philly, Philly special for him? Yes. The, the, this game, Garrett Wilson gets hurt, goes to the sideline. We watch him from the sideline for like 10 minutes getting worked on with his elbow the medical staff is pulling on it, trying to figure out what's wrong with it. They put a heating sleeve on it. They work on this elbow for like 10 minutes, obviously, visibly. We focus on this. And they then call a wide receiver pass with Garrett Wilson throwing the football with his injured elbow and like flutters it off the field. And you're like, and it was open. Yeah. There was a touchdown to be had there. It's like, we, why, why did we just dial this up for the guy who spent 10 minutes getting his injured throwing elbow worked on? You're not on the sideline. You don't know if the left guard's getting whooped. You don't know this, analytics. And these are the same people who are like, nah, you see, the num- you can't trust the numbers because the numbers can't take into effect the hundreds of things that come up in the, the course human of the game. man. You don't know. You just watched your star wide receiver have a doctor working on his throwing elbow for 10 minutes and then decided that the solution was to have him fire the football with that throwing arm. Yeah. That feels like an error in coaching judgment to me. It was the next call on the sheet. <laughs> uh, we've got some examples. I'll say the, uh, the game winner, though, Aiden O'Connell, uh, rookie to rookie, Aiden O'Connell to Michael Mayer. Yeah, the game winner. Great play Beautiful by Mayer. throw up and away by uh, up and away from coverage. Nice play by Mayer, and uh, it was the only touchdown in the game. Mm-hmm. And then for the second week in a row, I mean, Josh Jacobs. We are just feeding the guy carries, and apparently carries that he wants to have, as opposed to whatever the hell Josh it's the plays he likes was dialing up, which was good. And they're working now. I mean, Raiders defense playing well. Like, there's something to it, I guess. I mean, if. We always joke about, like, you don't want to run the ball too much. But when you have a rookie quarterback, you also – like, Aiden O'Connell kept taking sacks, yeah. you know, falling out of field I mean, goal range. 
I mean, two-yard runs are better than yes. taking sacks. You don't, so you're is, at that point where grinding the ball out with Josh Jacobs ends up becoming a, a pretty good play here. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those ones where we talk in very simple terms sometimes about, you know, the average pass is, be- is better than the average run, so most teams should be passing more than they're, they're throwing or more, more than they're running. This is a game where, like, dude, that Jets defense, that Jets pass rush against a rookie quarterback in Aiden O'Connell who has previously melted down in one of his two, you know, NFL starts against teams that can do that kind of thing. Like, dude, run the ball all day. They're not scoring, so it's not like you have to keep pace with an offense that's doing anything special. Run the damn ball and just yeah. don't – because the average, the average result in the passing situation for that could well have been significantly worse than even a not particularly, particularly productive run game. So the grinded out win here for the Raiders. Um, and uh, either way, I mean Antonio Pierce. You know, I was joking about him and Spillane and Josh Jacobs. He's got them playing hard, second week in a row. Um, let's also not completely overreact. They beat the Giants and the Jets yeah. the last couple weeks, um, but you know, turning things around a little bit. And it actually was, by the way, by the numbers, their average EPA per play on pass plays was significantly worse than their average EPA on run plays. So. Game flow wise, yeah. yeah Intuitively, from the Raiders' perspective, it made sense to run the ball, and actually, well, statistically, it made sense as well. Again, against this Jets, like you know, I think some some people picked up my line from the preview show where I said, you know, the Jets' defense basically makes every offense look like a Zach Wilson-led offense. The Jets' mm-hmm. offense—that <laughs> is the truth. I mean, throwing the ball against this Jets' defense is really difficult, mm-hmm. and it came down mm-hmm. to keep it close, keep it close, keep it close, make one big play to Michael Mayer in the end zone. And that ends up being the difference. And again, I would say, yeah, Zach Wilson, some struggles there, but credit this Raiders defense who uh, remained feisty all year. Yeah. Malcolm Coons <clears throat> had a nice strip sack in there. He's really rushed the passer well opposite Max Crosby. Uh, they've done a nice job on that side of the ball relative to, I think, what the what the talent, the talent that they have on that side. Mm-hmm. So Raiders move to 5-5. Five and five. Jets fall to 4-5. and five. Big uh, blow for their, uh, you know, playoff hopes alive for Aaron Rodgers mid-December return mid-December was the thing that they were reported right that's what that he, he wants said, to yeah. to try to come back now, now did, I think he said that in very uh you know that's our target it's very optimistic and let's see how it goes type of terms yeah well <clears throat> what was Cam Akers he came back by January it was like a nine-month recovery right it was the oh his was nine yeah because it was the end of the previous season yeah or whatever it was. Him oh, recovering. it was it was in like uh Training, I'm not training camp. He recovered in an off season, so him recovering in like a full yeah. What Rogers is trying to do is insane. Yes. So Cam Akers relative to other recovering in the space of an off season was seen as insane because it's usually a full year. What I'm Rogers is trying to recover within the course of the same season at the age of 40 or whatever. Yeah, behind this offensive line, who, like I said, not a Zach Wilson excuse or anything like that, but I am. I don't know. Aaron Rodgers might struggle a little bit behind this makeshift line. Yeah. All right, man. That's it. We got Monday Night Football tonight. Broncos and Bills. I think we hit every game. Did we forget anybody? Get the Titans game in there? Yep. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't care if we forgot it this week. But uh, it's an historic week of NFL football. All in the books in under two hours and 40 minutes. Historic. historic. Five walk-off field goals. It's the real story. You'll be back here tomorrow breaking down Monday Night Football, talking some draft with Trevor. But we appreciate everybody for tuning in. I'll see you again. I'll see you again on Wednesday, the PFF NFL Podcast.